The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for Crave Online and IGN.com, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. What does IGN stand for? Uh, I think it used to be Internet Gaming News, and then it kind okay. of spread, if memory serves. It spread and grew and grew and grew. <laughs> it has taken over the entire state. Uh, or the entire world. It's actually a rather big website. Yeah, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am also a film critic of some stripe. Mm. I have appeared on radio and podcasts as well. I have been on the movie Trivia Schmodown as The Beauty, and where we have other fans. That's right. We have many fans. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really a great pleasure to see more people come to the show uh, in mm. the last couple of months. And, yeah, um, we, and We appear on the Schmodown, and you come find us, and that's very, very big of you. Thank you very much. So if you came here from the Schmodown, mm-hmm. and uh, you're listening to our podcast, you are sexy, you are grand, you are <laughs> smart, you are funny, mm-hmm. uh, and everybody likes you. Everybody and, likes you. And if you came here from before... And you didn't need to be sort of filtered in through the Schmodown, even more so. You, you were sexier before. It was Everyone sexy. is great, basically, <laughs> is, is the philosophy of this show. Uh, and to clarify, uh, IGN used to stand for the Imagine Games Network. Imagine Games. Yeah. Okay, I'm imagining games. Do it. Okay. You can do yeah, it. Now I have a job there. Hey, look, a paycheck. Oh, neat. <laughs> what? How did that happen? Hmm. Uh, this week on Cancel Too Soon, uh, well, all, as we all this, are... All this month on Cancel Too Soon. Indeed. The entire month we were looking at television series that were canceled last season mm. on uh, network television, cable television. Uh, every year, they there's a whole new crop of shows, and the vast majority of them do not last at all. <laughs> they get canceled and forgotten immediately. Um, so while they're still fresh in our heads, we thought it was a good opportunity to look at mm. some of the bigger shows that people were talking about, some of the more acclaimed shows people were talking about, and some of the, what the, f- how did that even get made? <laughs> uh we get a lot of, like, if something gets freshly canceled, if, like, a Variety runs a headline, like, X canceled for the series, we immediately get a deluge of requests. Hey, you guys should do that one immediately. And yeah. we, we have in the past, like, we did Vinyl, for instance, when, like, almost the instant Vinyl was canceled. Well, at least it, at least it was um, on our schedule that, that uh, week. Yeah. We, we were a little hasty on Doubt, uh, which yeah. we'll catch up on, because we did Doubt as soon as it was canceled, and it turns out there's more episodes that they're burning off. Yeah, so. it's still canceled. But they decided to air a bunch of episodes that we did not have an opportunity and, and just, to review. Just for completion's sake, we'll do the the whole show again, yeah. essentially. Uh, actually, like within my, the next week is the plan. My, minus the last two episodes. But uh, mm. this one kind of slipped under the radar while it was on and off the air. It, yeah. it came and went with nobody really noticing. Yeah. And it's easy to see why when we explain what the premise is. Yeah, it would, they announced that it was canceled and everyone's like, that was on? And then we <laughs> saw like the trailer for it and Whitney and I were just like oh we're reviewing we're, the hell we out have, of we that we have got to do this series, oh my dude. god because this is this is just like you can tell from the trailer that it was a bad idea mm. and then you watch it 
and it was a bad idea. Still a bad idea. <laughs> let's let's get let's just jump right in this right. week. Let's jump right into talking about imaginary Mary. When Alice was a kid, she had an imaginary friend. I'm Mary. With my help, you're gonna kick life in the A double S. That's a swear word. I'll teach you a bunch. And now that she's dating a guy with kids. On my computer, it's just boobs. I don't do manis, petties, or gosling movies. Oh, careful. Mary Hola. is back. Kids, huge step. But don't worry, we'll handle it together. This isn't happening. Just an appetizer. Are you okay? I gotta go. Tuesday, April 4th. Oh my god, you're back. Learning to be a mom. It's scary. Me? Scared of kids? He's on to us. Kick him and run. Is gonna get hairy. Maybe we should get some fro-yo. Yes. Oh. Crap, you broke it. Jenna Elfman. Why are you spooning me? And the voice of Rachel Dratch. I like snuggles, Chica. Why you gotta make this weird now? Imaginary Mary. You are full on mom dancing. Series premiere Tuesday, April 4th. Hey, hey, I'm walking here. On ABC. Imaginary Mary. It's Drop Dead Fred the show, it's, but it's not Drop Dead Fred the show. Uh, Dro- Drop Dead Fred, for those who may not be in the know, uh, yes. was a not well acclaimed, not very successful, but for some reason very well remembered uh, early 90s kids movie. Uh, was uh, it a kids movie? I think it was like sort of a warped adult version of a kids movie. I saw it as a kid. I'll, I'll, the only people I know who are fond of it saw it when they were kids. Granted, I think part of the problem was that they were trying to make it like naughtier. Oh. Then it should have been for a kids movie, and as a result, mm-hmm. it had trouble finding an audience but, initially. But the, the idea movie is, was this: it, uh, Phoebe Cates plays an adult professional woman who uh, is dating kind of a scumbag, and she's kind of timid, and her life is not really as together as she would like. She has and, a domineering mother, and uh, yeah, she lives at home with her domineering mother. And into this comes her old childhood imaginary friend, Drop Dead Fred, this mm-hmm. creature that she made up when she was young, played by uh, what's his face from The Young Ones. Oh yeah, um, uh, I'm gonna forget it. Funny him. British comedian who didn't do a lot of film, but he's well known uh, for he the was, young ones. He was actually okay. Hold on, here we go. Oh god, why what? am I forgetting his it, name? No, ah, uh, why don't we know this? <laughs> oh, we're it's, such it's okay. terrible just, people. Just look it up. But uh, uh, the, Rick Mail, Rick Mail, Rick Mail. Yeah, yeah. Um, who was also uh, he was going to be Peeves in the Harry Potter movies. Peeves is a not very important character, but a very memorable character from the books. He was like the hmm. school poltergeist. Okay. And he really didn't have anything to do with the plot until the last book uh-huh. when he found out, oh, he knows all this important stuff because he's been here for forever. Hmm. And then they hadn't introduced him in the movies and they had to really write around it a lot. Oh, dear. So they filmed well, some scenes with they, him they and then had, they cut him out. And they they had other back. poltergeists like Shirley, they had, uh, Shirley Henderson and mm-hmm. they had John Cleese. Those were, I guess, John Cleese, like was vaporized at one point. Zonkley's just sort of disappeared from the movies after like a couple of films. Like he was in the first one and then he was like, he he kind of was vaporized in the second one and he was just gone. So the ghost died. How weird. (laughs) The the notion that there are ghosts around is something that they stopped paying attention to in those movies. But yeah, uh, Drop Dead Fred is about a grown professional woman whose childhood imaginary friend comes back and starts wreaking havoc in her adult life. Uh, that is the premise of Imaginary Mary. Uh, mm-hmm. We meet Alice, who, uh, as a child, saw her parents' marriage go really horribly, and mm-hmm. at that moment she created Mary, this little white furry thing with blue spots, voiced by Rachel Dratch, mm-hmm. to kind of get her through the tough times. Yeah. And she could she could see it and talk to it, nobody else could see it and talk to it, mm-hmm. and it stayed with her 
by the premise of the show through the moment she lost her virginity at age 18. So this, Metaphor! So, that yeah, her innocence is gone. But, yeah. you know, she had her imaginary friend kind of with her all throughout through her teenage age 18, years. Which is a long time to have an imaginary friend that you're constantly interacting the with. The imaginary friend is crass and, mm-hmm. you like, vanishes right at a moment when she says, wait, I want to see his dick. And then vanishes. Yeah. yeah. So the imaginary friend is is kind of a, a pig. Yeah. But the idea is that she needed the imaginary friend to sort of assert her independence, mm. make sure she would never turn out like her mother and settle down, but all of her faith in a family and a, fr- and a man who would inevitably betray her. So she's now she's uh, she's played by Jenna Elfman, mm. also played by Jenna Elfman from Dharma and Greg. Uh, and play, other play, things as well. Playing another free spirit type character. Basically. And, and Jen Elfman's like in her mid 40s. So like Alice has been doing this for a while. Alice mm-hmm. has managed to go like the majority of her adult life or her whole adult life without having any real relationships. Yeah. Any meaningful relationships. And she works as sort of a high powered uh, professional agent. Pub- publicity or, firm. She's a publicity firm for yeah. like big big movie stars and sports stars. And, and she and, works with a bunch of younger people and she's yeah. always drinking and hooking up and yeah. try, trying to live the young life even as she She's aging out. And she, at the in, and we'll just give us the basic gist mm-hmm. of it. Uh, in the pilot episode, she meets a nice guy. She starts dating a nice guy. A guy she's dating him longer than she's ever dated anyone before. And which, he's which got is, three kids. Which is to say a couple months. Yeah. And she's got three kids. Or he's, and it's got, getting, he's got three kids. That's what I said. He's got three kids yeah. and... Uh, it's getting really serious and she starts panicking and her imaginary friend pops back up Mm -hmm. to help her deal with it. And that's the premise of the show. The show was... His name is Ben. He's played by an actor named Steven Schneider and we'll get to to how badly cast he is in a second. um, Steven Schneider, uh, you might know him from Broad City or the Cancel Too Soon series Save Me. Um, The show was created by three people, Mm. two of which feel like they come from one world and the other one comes from another. (laughs) So, well, they're, uh, they're all, like, TV no, they're not. veterans, aren't no, they? No, they are not. Like, Adam F. Goldberg is At, he... I, Two of them are, and one of them isn't. All I'm right. trying to explain things to you. Sorry. All right. Go. Do you Adam think? F. Goldberg mm-hmm. co-created this. You know him from The Goldbergs. <laughs> uh, also, uh, he wrote the movies Fanboys or Aliens in the Attic. Uh, he uh, is also co-created by David... Guarasio? God, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He also worked with the, on the Goldbergs, a bunch of other Goldberg shows. He also did Just Shoot Me, That's a Mad About You. It was also created by Oscar winner Patrick Osborne, who directed the animated short Feast about the hungry dog, whose oh, two yeah. like whose two like masters like mm. split up and he's got to get him back together because he's hungry. Uh, then there's he also did the Oscar nominated short Pearl about the car. And the oh, whole family okay. told from the perspective of their car. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And he's from just last year. Yeah, and he has got uh, his... Uh, uh, he's directing an animated adaptation of a really great independent comic book called Nimona, which I highly recommend you check out. It's a very unusual, very awesome fantasy story about a shapeshifter who becomes the sidekick to the biggest villain in the like in the world. Oh, fine. It's okay. really, really great. <laughs> I, I'm a huge, huge fan. Mm. So he comes from this very classy, uh, high concept, mm. you know, a, a kind of amazing world. Uh, the, the short about the car, by the way, which was filmed in virtual reality. It yes, was, it so was, you, could, it you was were sitting f- in the car and you could look all around. Yeah, like uh, it, if you saw this in VR, you could like turn your head and see the entire interior. You could turn all the way yeah. around and see the interior of and the car. And it's a great short if you haven't. A lot of people saw Feast because it played in front of a Pixar movie. 
Pearl, you can find it online pretty easily. Um, it's the story of a father raising a little girl by himself, but, but it's all told from inside their car. So you just see different experiences that they've had in the car. And he's a moving, he's driving a, the a various busker. So he's out performing on the street. Music and the guitar are very important. Yeah, and then she inherits so. the guitar, and she's becoming a, a, a musician in her own right. And it's really sweet. Like yeah. I actually love that short a lot. <laughs> so Patrick Osborne is super, super talented, and. I can only project what I think happened. <laughs> because what I think happened is the fundamental concept of Imaginary Mary is sound. The idea of well, someone's... Well, ima- had a feature film and it, it worked well enough. So, well, yeah, yeah but my, my point is that you, there's, there's something very Pixar about this, about someone whose imaginary friend comes back mm-hmm. to life and helps them through a hard time as an adult, but is also still an imaginary friend, not unlike uh, uh, in Inside Out, uh, okay. where the weird pink elephant creature... Bing Bong. Bing Bong, yeah. Bing Bong <laughs> shows back up, and he's still Bing Bong, and he hasn't changed. But And whereas they managed to, in like five scenes with Bing Bong, mm-hmm. break your <laughs> heart in Inside Out, I, what Imaginary Mary is mm-hmm. the most absolutely conventional and ultimately, I will argue, rather pointless version of this. Well, and Mary, in fact, plays so little into so much of this series, you wonder why she was included at all. She has... Nothing. Like, she she's, has she's nothing to do with the plot. Mary, ever. Mary is the hook of this, and she's the they reason never, the show exists. And with the exception of one episode, the like what she does and what she says and her experiences with Alice have nothing to do with the story whatsoever. She basically exists to occasionally make an "Oh no, she didn't" type joke, yeah, like just a side joke. I or, was reminded of Tequila in yeah. Tequila and Bonetti. Like, yeah. there, there's actually this pretty interesting crime story, and the dynamic between the characters is kind of interesting. And then they'll cut away to the dog, and the dog will say something and it's completely bizarre yeah it does you don't need the dog and, and to tell now, tequila and benetti but and now, you do not need mary and now for instead, imaginary of, mary. instead of a dog it's a little furry cgi critter that's just sort of sitting off to the side on a mantelpiece or something and an Rachel expensive visual something. effect yeah like yeah, yeah. like this, and here's what's really interesting about it so they filmed this with jenna elfman talking to a puppet uh-huh. And was performed by a good puppeteer, uh, Jenny Cassidy, who worked on everything. She worked <laughs> on uh, Dreamcatcher, The Haunting Hour, Cabin in the Woods. She, I assume and she anything she, with a critter. I imagine yeah, the yeah. whole a great Joe Dante movie. No one saw Ooh, that little clown thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Slither, mm-hmm. The Day the Earth Stood Still, Stargate, Alien vs Predator, Requiem. Like she's done a lot of puppeting. <laughs> so she worked with the puppet, and then they CG'd over the puppet. Yeah, that makes sense. I see what you did there. And then, well, it's to, it's to give Jenna Elfman like sort of an acting point, and I think that's great. Then just putting a tennis ball on a stick. It's totally you know, fine. It makes me wonder if it would have been better if you just had him up. But I think that's also mm-hmm. been done. Uh, and Un- then, unhappily ever after, it was exactly. done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then what they did is they CG'd over the character. And if you look online, you can see online mm-hmm. the pr- first preview for Imaginary Mary from like over a year ago, like 2016. Mm. With the with the puppet, with no, not with the puppet, with the original CG version, mm. and it looks horrifying. Oh, it yeah, like it it has it looks like the rabbits from those those video games where yeah. it has like this big wide mouth and these tiny widely spaced eyes. Yeah. It looks more and like a tombstone troll. teeth. Yeah, it looks and... more like a troll essentially, yeah. which I think makes a lot more sense in terms of like an imaginary friend. Like a little kid would create a little this kid weird... would create this monster thing. It looks like a child's drawing, and I actually like that design better. I like the creepier version better because I think it would ram home. More is what the character was initially supposed to be. See, I don't. And care. then as it developed, they mm. not only sanded off the edge of the character design. Now it has like a neck, and it has big, wider eyes, and it looks more like a cutesy, huggable thing. Uh-huh. 
And the character, I think, became less and less crass as they rewrote it. And they wanted to make the Mary character sort of a likable thing. Yeah. So they had to change it from this troll into this little pixie. I think it would have been better mm-hmm. if it, they had tried to play up the dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Where it looks really weird and kind of ugly. Like, it's just it's just the, the, the features don't look right yeah. in the original look in that preview. And then it is also lovable, so that mm. there's playing off of that. Or it looks really, really cute, and it's filthy. Right. That you could have worked both ways. I think doing making it seem as milk toast as it ultimately feels in the show mm. and look adorable doesn't help. Yeah. At yeah. all. I. I. Uh, but I do think ultimately it is. It is a more pleasing design. I can appreciate why they. Did it, it. It's a more pleasing design if you're making you know like a, a feature film about a cute little thing. Like mm-hmm. if, if something that looked like that appeared in a Don Bluth film, I would accept it immediately. But here, mm. it doesn't make any sense. Well, it's also again Don Bluth is working in two D animation and he's not oh, actually yeah. like interacting with human beings and there's different rules, different yeah, if, different things you have to play f- with. Fair enough. Um, okay, so let's see. So for our cast again, we got Jenna Elfman. We got Steven Schneider as her love interest. Uh, name, ben. And then we have three kids. And mm-hmm. this is the whole cast, basically. They've interviewed a couple of the people pop up, but we're going to stick with these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is Andy, the hopelessly neurotic teenage son, played by Nicholas Combe. He's an, an Aussie actor. Yeah, who is from uh, a show called uh, Cinematown. He's also going to be in the animated series Spy Kids, Mission Critical, which we might have to review at some point. <laughs> we, we predict. Uh, then there is Dora. The middle child, the she's basically the younger sister from Election. She's very political. She's she, she wants to. Mm, her character goes through through change a few changes, but she's more or less the middle child yeah. from Game Over. It's the same character. No, there you actually, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the exact same character. And uh, mm. she, what, what is the actress? Actress's name? Uh, her name is Matreya Scarwenner. She was on Strange Empire and the Cancel Too Soon series Ties That Bide. I think she think also played Soon. Dorothy Gale in that really hot series Once Upon. On a time, of which you might notice she has a poster on her wall of. Yeah, that's yeah, fun. So she's a little little cross. It's an ABC series, so a little cross pollination. And then there's the adorable ragamuffin bunny. Her name. Uh, that's her first name. Yeah, it's I assume bunny. it's. I assume it's short for like Bunwina or something. But uh, <laughs> Bunwina. <laughs> I don't know what that's short for. You tell me. Bernadette. Oh, that would actually make sense. All right. Well, <laughs> sure for shut, Bernadette. Shut my mouth. Uh, she's played by Erica Tremblay from The Bye Bye Man, Before I Fall, and a film I really need to track down. I think it's a short called Santa's Little Ferrets. <laughs> <laughs> then that's not like yeah, something you want to see. Yeah. I haven't seen The Godfather 2, but I want to see Santa's Little Ferrets. <laughs> And that's it. So basically every episode is Mary encounters a new sort of mature adult thing she has to do. Alice Alice does. Sorry, Alice. Alice. (laughs) Alice. Jan Elfman's character. She encounters a new mom-heavy adult Mm. task, job, uh, aspect of a relationship that she's never had to deal with before. And then she briefly uses Mary as a sounding board and And does whatever she would have done anyway if she hadn't talked to Mary. And then she learns a viable lesson. She does. She follows none of Mary's advice. Or she follows it very briefly. But the thing is, is that it's Mary's advice is her advice. Yeah. It's what she is instantly inclined to do as someone who is immature and scared mm. of commitment. So, so we Mary, didn't Mary, really need Alice, Mary at all for that. Mary represents her dark impulses, more mm-hmm. or less. And that would play better if Mary were giving actually more commentary, if she were mm-hmm. in it more. Now, I understand it's expensive to have the CGI creature, so mm-hmm. wouldn't it have worked if maybe we heard the voice? 
Like maybe. just Rachel Dratch's voice, who over oh we didn't even mention Rachel Dratch. You mentioned plays, her briefly. Uh, Rachel Dratch, plays, she's been on Saturday Night Live for like almost twenty forever, years. Forever, so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. she, she plays great. the she's voice funny. of Mary. She's she's a funny like, comedian. Normally, she has nothing to worry. And about. she does have a cameo in one episode. So, yeah, but which, uh, which is weird, and we'll talk about that later. A little, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah, she she goes to Mary. Like the kids have some sort of problem. She's never mommed before, and she has to figure out how to behave like an adult. And she doesn't really know how to do that. And she's really uncomfortable with it. But she loves Ben so much, and she's really trying to grow up a little bit. So she's willing to give it a try. Mm-hmm. She goes to Mary as like I said, asks for advice. She ignores Mary's advice and just does a thing anyway. Well, no, and she she follows it real briefly. Immediately sees it's the bad idea, and then mm-hmm. here's the problem. Mary suggests the solution. Hmm. Mary doesn't represent this negativity. It's like they're trying too hard to make Mary likable. That's hmm. the issue here. She can't represent what she needs to represent for hmm. the show to work because the show is trying to be really bland. Yeah. That's the problem with the show. It's, the, it's, it's like My Mother the Car style stories. My it's Mother like the, the that, Car yeah. was more interesting than this because the it's car like, got to do stuff. <laughs> the yeah, car got to do stuff. The car got to like witness stuff that like the, the protagonist like couldn't see. And stuff. Like, yeah. Because in the in My Mother the Car, it was, a, it was completely... Completely clear the car is real. Mm. Mom is doing this stuff. Uh, Imaginary Mary, they never want to play with that. They never want to play with the idea that Mary might actually exist. At the very least, not until uh, sort of a hint at something in the final episode. Yeah. Um, So... It's or it's always it the penultimate episode, but yeah, it's it, aired out of order. Right yeah, there. it's clearly aired out of order. Like the last episode that aired aired after an episode that introduces a whole bunch of plot points that aren't referenced in the last episodes. Oh, you can mm, tell the it's, last. It's like yeah. Earth Two in that regard. Yeah, it <laughs> like ends and then ca- they dead characters are back yeah, all of a sudden. What the fuck? Yeah. Just air it in order. How fucking hard is this? Why do you do that to yourself? So, um, but but yeah, so. The pilot episode was directed by Sean Levy. Now, Sean Levy is a filmmaker who I have a mixed relationship with. Because he has done one really great movie. Yeah. And a bunch of not very good movies. He he's does a lot of very generic... Like he, he did the three Night at the Museum films, which yeah. were big hits, but... No one actually no, loves no, them. No one really cares about those yeah. movies that much. I, uh, he did... Um, what else oh, did what he do? He did, uh, 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 he did the internship... That's right, which he is did, terrible. He did Date uh, Night. He did the Pink fine. Panther remake with Steve Martin, which is actually funnier it's, than you might think. It's better than it gets credit for. Still not great. He did Cheaper by the Dozen, the remake. He did but, Just Married. Big Fat Liar was his. Okay, I didn't but, see Big Fat Liar. But he also, he did two things, actually, that people love. Right. Well, one that people should love and one people do love. <laughs> he, he directed Real Steel, which mm. is one of the most underrated kids' movies God, of the a, last ten years. such a great feel-good kid flick yeah. about fighting Rock'em Sock. Robots yeah, it's about like it's, yeah, it's about human-sized robots that are controlled by Hugh they're Jackman. Giant, they're like nine feet tall. Yeah, yeah, but like you know, I mean, they're not like you know robot jocks, giant. Okay. And yeah, it's about robot boxing and Hugh Jackman and his son bond over robot boxing, and it's cool. <laughs> if it had come out in 1986, you would have loved it. No one saw it, but every single time I've run into like a family with like kids, uh-huh. uh, th- and they've seen it, they're like, "Yeah, that movie's great. Like, our kid <laughs> loves that movie." It's it's, it's like pu- it's pushing maybe not at Spielberg, but at least at Zemeckis. It's, it's, it's like a good Joe Dante movie, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. Explorers level. Like it's good. Mm. He also produces uh, Stranger Things. Oh, which is okay, a show a lot okay. of people really really love. I there's a lot I admire about it, mm. but it doesn't blow my mind because. I grew up in the 80s, and I know all of these things firsthand, so 
I, I think I might be just doesn't a little too old to appreciate to love what Stranger Things is doing, but ta- I like it. Doesn't Stranger Things take place in like just a vague mishmash of every year in the 1980s no, and not a specific year? No, or? I think it takes place in like I think the first season took place in like 82, 83. Okay. Um and then I think a new one takes place in 84. But mm-hmm. it plays like where all of the various tropes from the 80s. Okay. All of various 80s coming of age movies, horror movies, sci-fi movies, kids fantasy movies. All of those from regardless of when they were introduced in the 80s, all of those exist in Stranger Things. Oh, okay. But it's not a specific reference per se. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, Sean Levy yeah. is behind that. Yeah. And so, yeah. And he directed uh, Imaginary Mary, and this is sadly him at, at in his bland mode, his cheaper by the dozen remake The mode. pilot episode of Imaginary Mary, it just could not be more straightforward. They have to introduce the concept, and I get it. Mm. But man, nothing is. There's nothing interesting about well, it. I, there's, there's. She, she. We have the the introduction, the mm. montage of her growing up, Mad, Mary being born, vanishing, and then Mary is still narrating Alice's life. So I guess she still gets to witness it, kind of like in that movie Heart and Souls, where they're <laughs> invisible but they're still watching Robert Downey Jr. have sex, mm. and it's just kind of weird. And, he's, and they start wondering if every imaginary friend you've ever had is still yeah. with you, judging you. You know Tom Sizemore is right there, just like looking up close, breathing heavily in your ear. Yeah, and also imaginary friends are doing that. Um, <laughs> walked right into it. If you had said Pierce uh, Sedgwick, I couldn't have done that joke. <laughs> Tom about, Sizemore, how about, I buy. How about Charles Grodin? Uh, that one I buy too. I buy. <laughs> um, and uh, then she, she starts dating this guy. She hasn't met his kids yet. They're about to meet the kids. And imaginary Mary shows up at like a, in the middle of a date. Jenna Elfman freaks out, immediately, like, excuses herself, gotta go, and then she has a really short conversation with the imaginary friend in which Mary says, and I'm back to help you with stuff, Mm. and Alice is just like, oh, well, that makes sense, and then we're not gonna talk about it. And here, and we never talk about, and here's the most frustrating thing, we never talk about their relationship, Mm. the relationship she has with Mary, the things they've been through together. Why did she need Mary? It's like, times is tough, but we never see that dramatized, and we never hear it referred to, and we Mm -hmm. never see sort of the advice that Mary had previously given Alice. That was worth following, or that that, that, that made her feel better. That made the the relationship between the two of them feel special, or important, or unimportant, or whatever it is. It just sort Mm -hmm. of is really incidental and you would think that the cold open of every episode would be about hey remember that time you did x and i told you to do that and you had fun that could have been funny there's like, like there's like maybe two episodes where they do that like there's and you one could have episode that's like a dramatic contrast where this worked when you were 10 or 16 yeah, yeah, yeah. and it doesn't work now exactly exactly we need some sort of theme that Mary introduces to the show. Yeah. Which, Otherwise, there's happened. no reason to have Mary in the show. There's at least one, there's one cold open in one episode where uh, Alice chases Mary around with a vacuum cleaner because that was mm. a game they used to play when they were children. And that was like the one hint we got that they actually had a past together. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she's just sort of there mm-hmm. and she's so easily accepted into this universe that it's almost baffling that, that she appears. She contributes so little that when she's on screen, you're wondering why. Why did you do this? Why, well, why, because why do you need this thing in your life? It's, it just Mary exists as someone for Alice to talk to about um, her anxieties and for someone to sort of recommend bad ideas mm. that she will then implement and then realize. She could just wrong. be but a best friend. She, yeah. she could do two things. She can either just have a best friend, which we find out later that she has, mm. and she could potentially talk to people about this. So we don't need Mary at all. If she had no friends, that would make sense. But it turns yeah. out she does. So, In fact, that's boom. the theme of one episode. It is. Um, or 
You could just have it be like every other show where she's an immature person and she makes bad decisions. Mm. Seinfeld, when he or when George Costanza did stupid shit to get out of problems, he didn't need an imaginary friend. <laughs> that was just who his character was. He could made just bad have decisions. the conversation. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the pilot continues apace. Uh, Mary helps in no way, shape, or form. She meets the kids. The kids are in turns excited that their dad is dating somebody mm. or completely having none of this. It doesn't go very well. The, the little girl in the, breaks an expensive guitar. A vintage Les Paul, no less. Okay. And then uh, Mary... The, the, the uh, boy is obnoxiously neurotic in the pilot. He, he even evens out as we go, but yeah. he is so... Like, I wanted to slap that kid. Implausibly, the, uh, implausibly neurotic. And, mm. um, and then... Uh, she screws up some stuff and then she makes a little, some things a little bit better. And then that's the end of the pilot. Mm. The pilot is weird because it feels so completely insular Mm. that it doesn't feel real. It feels like it's taking place in limbo. There aren't other people that these characters interact with. They don't really go outside much. She, there's this montage where she's dancing, but even that feels like she's like in her own little universe and no one else is around her. If you had told me, that these characters were like side characters in the good place, a show about people who are dead, <laughs> but if this is like the limbo, sh- like not um, very good dimension. I would be like, yeah, 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 yeah. okay, yeah, I, I yeah, that it's makes like a, like a wrist cutter's a love story, or yeah, yeah. like because again, they there's their problems. A, they're just really just milk affluent toast-y. milk yeah. toast. I'm going to so say she's, it, white problems, yeah, she, but she then they, just, a, they don't connect to anyone else, she, anything else, anything else in the world. She, and it's unclear as to where she lives. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a... The city. They live in... They, it's not just the city, where she, where Alice lives, because mm. we establish early on that she has her own apartment, and that's not mentioned again until, like, episode four or five, and we never see her there. She's only ever at Ben's big suburban home. For the most part, yeah. So... I assumed early on that she had already moved in and that was the big issue. And then when they talk about moving in together near the end of the series, it's like, oh, wait, I thought she was already living here. There's an episode about what happens at night. She's never stayed the night there. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why are you there all the time? You're just sort of bumming around. And, and that's your, the episode. Your boyfriend's house all the time. The episode about her spending <clears throat> the night for the first time is <clears throat> the episode that they scowed last out of order. And that's the episode that makes all that stuff make sense. Yep. Because yeah. otherwise we're jumping <clears throat> the gun and she's actually way more invested and involved and, in the family than she was supposed to be and in that her one character is, arc. And that one is actually more interesting than the first four episodes, which are all these boring stories about giving the kids advice and going to mm-hmm. prom and taking driving tests and... And we're already focusing so heavily on the kids and their problems and the way Jenna Elfman is reacting to it that you get the impression right away that the show didn't want Mary in it anymore. Yeah. Like they introduced this concept. It got past the concept. Yeah. And, and in fact, my wife suggested this. My wife, who is a hero for watching these shows oh, with me sometimes. Oh, uh, 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 Michelle watched <laughs> all of this with me too. And she she mm. also did not care for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my wife suggested there is actually already a fine show about hiring Jenna Elfman. You get a better actor than the guy they got, and mm. you have them be the two stars. You call it hashtag adulting, and there it's about go. a young uh, a 
Two a, immature people four, are trying to be a adults. A 40-year-old immature person who is trying to be be the best adult she can be yeah. by raising these kids. That's a sitcom already. You don't need this extra angle of the imaginary friend. Yeah. My wife suggested ha- adulting as the, the title of a sitcom. It's a good idea. That's a better show than the one we're watching. It is. The second episode, mm. also directed by Sean Levy, is mm. called The Mom Seal. Mm. Uh, the title is a reference to once you do these things... You've broken the you're mom broken seal. You've broken the mom seal and you're no longer the single independent woman you are. Mm. It's not as important a plot point as you might think. Um, Alice is asked to... Uh, Pick, pick, pick Bunny, Bunny up, up from, from her yeah. from, from from like her after school dance thing, um, and sort of take care of her for a little bit. Uh, meanwhile, Ben, the dad, is pressuring Andy, uh, the teenager, uh, to get his driver's license so that he can do more chores and things around the house. And mm. Andy is scared of driving. Yeah, and he makes a good argument, which is, "You've seen me. I'm neurotic <laughs> and terrified of everything. You want to put me behind the the wheel of an automobile? That's really dangerous, That's Dad. That's a stupid idea. And he no, goes to Alice for advice, and Alice says, you should listen to your fear. Fear <laughs> tells you not to do stupid things. And she ends, it ends up being the worst advice ever, of mm. course, because it tells him he doesn't have to do anything or overcome any of his fears. Um, and that's that's not a bad lesson to learn. I'm not arguing that. But it, it, it's interesting that she's pushing all of these immature ideas mm. on the kids and Ben is cast as the somewhat reasonable one who's actually like a good father mm. and then the show is going to forget that Ben was supposed to be a good father in about yeah, two episodes. Yeah. And in fact, Ben's character turns into somebody who's all, also really neurotic and it's introduced, yeah. I think in episode three, that he stress eats. Oh, yeah. And and that's a premise that uh, something they actually go back to. And there's an episode where he's making like a a Dagwood style sandwich that's so tall it falls over. And and I guess it's mildly amusing. But he turns into somebody who's so neurotic and actually like is kind of depressed that he's a divorced dad. Uh Oh, he's divorced, by the way. That's something that uh, a detail that kind of slipped past me. I wasn't sure if he was a widower or not. Eventually we meet his ex-wife. Yeah, but... Ben becomes, and this is why I say he's miscast, because he becomes so kind of sad and kind of neurotic and kind of put upon as a father. The actor they have playing him Mm -hmm. is... Steven Schneider. Steven Schneider is too handsome and too confident. He's essentially too hot to play that role. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, again, my wife made the brilliant suggestion of David Schwimmer. You put somebody in that role who's kind of put upon. I would suggest somebody kind of darker, like a Tom Hardy type. Somebody who's just like really depressed. Yeah, I'm sure Tom Hardy would do. This. Well, Tom Hardy wouldn't do something like this. It would be great if he did. Yes, but uh, he's not going to do it. It would be fantastic. It would be completely out of left field. Somebody who's just many. Uh, somebody more like Woody Harrelson. Just somebody who has some darkness in them to play this kind of depressive character who needs to be like lifted up a little bit and actually feels a little bit more catharsis in getting aid from this new woman that. His life is actually turning around a little bit. But they're never going to do that because Imaginary Mary is, mm. a, is a show that is being marketed to mm. shitty adults. <laughs> bad parents. It's about, it's, yeah, to bad parents. Or parents who feel like they're bad parents. Or parents who would prefer to be bad parents if they mm. could. People who would love to make terrible decisions and be selfish mm. and put themselves first. It's a fantasy but then have for to, the bad parents. And then yeah. have to remind themselves, oh, wait, the kids. Mm. But these parts, these aspects of ourselves still exist. There's something to that. I'm not going to say that there shouldn't be a show about that. Mm. But... As the show goes on, Ben goes from being kind of hero dad, knows everything, and I appreciate them not wanting to him to like 
be so much better than her mm-hmm. that he seems either too good for her or worse condescending yeah um but then they go way too far and he and i started wondering why he doesn't have his own imaginary friend i thought maybe that would be the twist oh, at the end also, of, yeah, of the, the, of the pilot that he yeah, also has an imaginary like friend. that would, at the end of the season like maybe we would find out like you know he just like oh god Oh, I asked her to marry me. Oh, this is crazy. And then his imaginary best friend, who's like a hippopotamus with horns or something, just I was like, <laughs> Well, we're gonna have to help you with that. <laughs> Trumpy, no! <laughs> Schmigglemong, I thought you were dead. No, not Schmigglemong. <laughs> the second episode has. I, I left maybe 10 times throughout this series. I, I had a few chuckles. There's a few good mm. gags, most of which are on the prom episode. Uh, mm. But there's one funny one where Alice is feeling really good about herself. She's like skipping down the street with Bunny, uh-huh. and they're just like talking about all the things they're gonna do. Oh wait, let's go get some froyo. Yeah, this mom thing is great. She's skipping down the street and she skips the girl right into a mailbox. Yeah, yeah. Which is a great like just slapstick sight gag where just this <laughs> nine year old girl gets concussed, <laughs> and it's and it's dark. It's dark. It's a dark joke in a way that the rest of the show isn't it's a dark, so it fe- uh, it's funnier it's a dark joke and it plays into the theme of the episode where you know she's trying to be a good mom and this is a great sign that she's not yes because she concussed this young girl all right uh episode three mm-hmm. the parent e trap I, i'm not exactly sure what the pun is there but this is the yeah. one where andy uh, wants to audition for greece um dora because she's still version one of the character yeah is, the rebellious you know, the rebel- girl, yeah, yeah. The, the one who's protesting everything. She protests Greece because Greece is sexist because it is, especially the ending, especially, especially the, the ending, ending. And, especially the ending. And yeah. uh, it's hard and- to argue the ending. I do not argue the middle bit. Like, the ending, no. The ending's pretty sexist. Grease is a pretty fun show. Uh-huh. The movie is vastly overrated. I don't understand why people are <laughs> as fond of it as they are. Yeah. Um, just because it has fun music, I guess. There's good stuff in it. Mm. Like, there's really good scenes Stuck, and Stucker bits. And the great, the yeah. actors are good in it. I like Grease, mm. but Grease is another one of those movies that was a hit, is an important part of our popular culture, that when you watch it now, you had to put an asterisk on it. <laughs> because, okay, and, this is good. With a butt. <laughs> so the theme of Greece is, you know, about over overcoming your uh, sort of square, the, the, the musical Greece. It's about overcoming your square background, turning into sort of a bad person and becoming more confident well, over it. Not, not, not my bad person, but like... Theoretically, it's about both. Theoretically, yeah. it is about um, two people who meet and fall in love over the course of a summer mm. when they're completely free from the strictures of their cliques. At yeah. school. Then they go to school and they have to be exactly who all their friends want them to be. And that divides them. There's a good story there. Mm. So John Travolta's character is a greaser. He's got to be a punk. He's got to be uh, more macho and sexist than he might normally be in other circumstances. And Sandy kind of doesn't, actually. She falls into a bunch of friends who are fine with her. So that in of itself isn't great drama. <laughs> and then uh, John Travolta's character wants to ends the movie wanting to change. For Sandy, and Sandy realizes that it's too much to ask him to change, so I'll change and be a bad girl. Yeah. And you're just sort of like, good, good job. Good job there, Sandy. Good good lesson for young girls. And we learn that bad lesson through Bunny, because yeah. Bunny watches Grease, and she's like, hey, I want to be just like Sandy. I want to be a bad girl, because that's what makes her more interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and so Dora actually has a point on how sexist this is, mm-hmm. and she brings this very real thing that's happening to Bunny to the the attention of the parents and they're like, but here's the thing. Auditioning for theater is such a magical experience that it doesn't, we kind of have to ignore the fact that it's a 
bad show for our children. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not an evil show, but it's, it's not a, it's not a particularly it's a, it's a bad enlightened show. show. And, and, uh, and Dora has made it an anti-Greece musical that she wants yeah. to stage auditions for and stage the same night of yeah. to protest. Meanwhile, Andy is trying to overcome his neuroses, and he's had a past of trying to audition for shows, and he throws up every time and doesn't get a role, and he feels terrible, and Dad feels terrible, and everybody feels terrible whenever this happens. Mm -hmm. So Dad has taken to discouraging his son from auditioning. Which is really shitty. Yeah. It's a really shitty thing to do, because he doesn't just say, hey, maybe there are other pursuits that we could do that uh, Mm -hmm. would make you feel better about yourself. Instead, he just tries to like, you know what's really important? Spotlight guy. You should be the spotlight <laughs> you, you guy. You can be He's, involved in theater without auditioning. And he and he tells Alice, you just like, I've given up encouraging him. Spotlight guy is important, but if the kid doesn't want to do that, yeah. you're not helping. You're actually just not, I'm sorry, that's not good parenting. And Alice decides to help Andy and work with him, make mm-hmm. him a better actor, and, and she, she does. She's worked with sports stars who have to do commercials, so she has some, exper- some experience yeah. in this. And she's a, helping him a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of montages of her helping him, helping him, helping him. And he actually becomes more confident. And, yeah, and he and, does get better. And he gets better, and in fact, he, uh, in his mind, he nailed the audition. We don't get to see it, but he nailed it. Yeah. And, and I does, like to think that he did, because uh, he actually did a really good job. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. he doesn't get the role. He doesn't get in the play at all. Yeah. No, not even a, not even like it a does, side role, like a like a non-speaking part. He doesn't but, get in. But and this is what I like. She audi- he auditioned, but he feels he did a good job, and it doesn't matter that he got a bad role. And indeed, he gets to star in Anti Grease. <laughs> yeah, he's Dora puts on her own Anti Grease show. But oh, what's in- oh, and by the way, Mary's in this episode. Who cares? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. And 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 then it turns. out What's weird is that. I, I, the show almost impl- gives you the wrong message because Alice completely flips out when Andy doesn't get the play, and she over well, we, she does the mom thing. She's like, "Oh, how dare they! I'm going to shut down this play." Well, she she does what a parent might do. She gets so in- personally involved, she understands what it is to be involved in a child's life, and I think yeah. that's actually good drama. It is good drama, but then Ben shows up to her and says, "And this is why we don't encourage Andy." And you're just like, "Dude, fuck it, fuck, fuck you!" <laughs> and unfortunately, his sister gives your, him a girl. pity role. Uh-oh. I like. And it's just sort of like, eh, I don't think, I think you're undercutting your message but he's, here. He's, but he's pretty good. He gets to dress in drag. He uh-huh. uh, he plays a character named John Newton Olivia, which I thought was kind of cute. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's vaguely funny. I'm yeah. not going to lie. And then we move on <laughs> because Imaginary Mary moved on somehow. Uh, then we episode prom four, episode. prom-com. Mm-hmm. Actually not a bad episode. It's, there's good jokes in this. I liked there there there's one good joke. Uh so Andy again neurotic mm-hmm. wants to ask pretty girl to prom. Unfortunately, said pretty girl falls away later on. He has other pretty girls. It's so weird that they forgot about it because I, I, he says he's in love with her. Uh-huh. She, not that he has a crush, that he is in love. And she indicates that she likes him too. In fact, she's the girl he co-starred with in Anti-Grease. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they, Which they, actually she calls Dawn because Dawn cuts away Grace. Ah. Uh, That's a terrible title. Anti-Grease is better. Oh my God. Yeah. You only just got that? I only, yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I wish I hadn't. Oh my God, that is terrible. I'm just laughing that you didn't laugh. Oh. <laughs> okay, so anyway, yeah, he, he has Andy a past with, has, has pa- uh, with this girl, trying to ask her out. Um, he uh, doesn't want to do it because he knows she's going to say no and it's going to devastate her. So Alice says, just go for it. Be a little bit more confident. Yeah. So he texts the word prom with a question mark, but the autocorrect turns it to the word porn. <laughs> Which is pretty so funny. He just texts through the word porn. And now he doesn't know what to do, so he just has to leave it there. Just <laughs> This girl he's in love with, he just says porn. 
And that's, and, and that's she, pretty funny. That's pretty funny. So yeah. he just put, throws the phone down and says, oh, what do I do? So he's like, well, yeah. you, you have to do a bit more of a grand gesture. Evidently, this is a thing now in real life. Uh, the, the what, pro- grand gestures? No, the promposal, evidently, is now this new yeah. thing. Asking oh, somebody to prom now has to be a gigantic well, gesture people for a lot have of seen kids movies. in high school. Okay, we'll talk about well, the other side of that in a second. But, so she, he so goes he, over uh, to the, to the goes, girl's house. goes over to her house, and she's in her bedroom, and she says, okay, so now we have to do something big. So he, he has to throw a pebble at her window. And he has this big chalk drawing on the street in front of her house yeah, that, that says, says something like, uh, uh, Jenny, do me the honor of going to prom with me. Right. It's, so, it's kind of elaborate. So he and uh, and Jen Elfman's there. So it's like and he's wearing a suit. So this is a big gesture. Yeah. And so he picks up a pebble Only he can't find a pebble. So he throws a rock at her window, breaking the window. <laughs> and then she comes to the and, window right as the street sweeper goes down the street. And uh, the only thing that's left of the chalk message is Jenny, do me. Oh, and then he stands there for a second and then in a suit. <laughs> and then runs away. That's a pretty good gag. That's a funny gag. And then it pays off at the end when she knocks on the car window and Jenna Elfman's dropping her off at school and he rolls down the window like, oh, hey, Jenny, what's going on? And and this is a great payoff. She says, so you texted me the word porn and then you wrote Jenny do me on the street. We're going to go to prom or what? (laughs) (laughs) It's like she knew exactly what was happening. Yeah. She's totally okay with it. And she says, pick me me up at seven and bring money for the window because my parents are pissed. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, and then later on, it's like, hey, I got a date to the prom. By the way, you owe Jenny's parents like $300 for an expensive window. Wait, what? Okay, but what sets all this in motion mm. is Dora gets asked to the prom mm. by a guy who does a huge grand gesture. He and, has like a and couple And this is of, where Dora becomes a new character. Completely new character. <laughs> uh, so he, this guy, nice seeming guy, uh-huh. goes to her front door with like two guys. One of them has like a, a, a guitar or something mm-hmm. like that. And he sings a promposal to fact, her. In fact, he sings to... Uh, to be with you, yeah, that, that big one-hit wonder from uh, um, Big Time. It was a Big Time. I don't know. Uh, I don't fucking know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, if I knew music, we'd be doing a different podcast. Uh, but uh, she says no, shuts the door in his face. Mm. He comes back, and he actually comes back with a bigger band. Mm. And she says, "Okay, you know what? Fine. This uh-huh. is this. Clearly, you 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 seem like you care. Fine. Let's mm. let's do this." And then her dad says, "You can't." Oh, excuse do- me. It was Mr. Big, not okay. Big Time. She, he, her dad says, mm. you can't go to prom mm. because of the Andy rule. Uh-huh. You can't go to prom before Andy goes to prom because he's very vulnerable and that will destroy him. When really, of course, it's completely transparent that he just doesn't want his daughter dating. But it's also a shitty thing. It's a it's, shitty it's thing. A, this is a, where it becomes a shitty dad. Yeah. A shitty and, dad. And this isn't like uh, like Larry Miller in 10 Things I Hate About You, where he puts the ultimatum down in front of both daughters at the same time, and yeah. it's kind of broad and comedic, and it's actually really funny in that scene. Yeah, because he's like, overreacting in that scene. Sure, you can, go, you can go to prom when she does, and she doesn't want to go to prom, and he knows she doesn't want to go to prom, Even so it's Larry okay. Miller, yeah. I love Larry Miller in that scene. Even he goes, you can go to prom when she does. Ooh, I like that. Well, no, it's, <laughs> He's actually like enjoying the plot point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, but, but she'll never get a date. She's mutant. I'll never go to prom. Then She'll never go to prom. Then you'll never get a problem. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> it's actually a really great movie. I it's, like that I love that movie. <laughs> it's another one that has a difficult ending, though, because he basically bribes her into liking him again with an expensive present. Yeah. Well, that I mean, one kind of bothers the me. The taming of the shrew is a problematic play as and is. Honestly, and it's, it's less problematic than Shakespeare. So let's <laughs> let's appreciate 10 Things I Hate About You for how good it is, shall we? But yeah, so uh, anyway, back to Dora's story. Yeah. Um, she she uh, she says yes on, on his second attempt, uh-huh. but he expected the like the third tr- third time to be the charm. So he actually has a third installment <laughs> all planned, which he goes ahead with anyways. Like I already said yes, I know, but I had all this already set up. 
Um, and uh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. basically, Andy ends up surprisingly getting a date. Mm-hmm. She uh, she has a date. They and, go to prom, and she's happy to go to prom. She's not the type. If well, she, she actually the, said she did like this guy. She, she actually had a little crush on. She him. said she had a crush on this guy, and she wants to go to prom. Uh, and which is counter to what we previously knew about the character, who would mm-hmm. probably boycott prom. Right. And now, she's now allowed she's, to have mixed emotions about she's it. She's allowed to have mixed emotions, but she's actually a far more uh, gregarious, affable, approachable person from here on out. She's actually mm. much more of an average, likable teen rather than this sort of broad, protesting yeah. archetype. Also less of a well-defined character, but... but... Less of a well-defined character. I think more human, though. Eh. It's That could be argued. I, I could go with Dora either way. Okay. It's 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 tr- it's frustrating that they went to all the trouble of creating these broad archetypes for all the characters, mm. only to completely go in different direction by episode four. Right, right. It's right. very very strange. Um, and uh, and then what happens is Dad decides to have the talk with the boy date, uh-huh. the talk that every father of a daughter longs to have because we had to have this <laughs> when you when you date a, a girl for like the first time in like high school, uh-huh. her dad. Brings you over to the side, mm. makes pointed mention that he owns a shotgun, <laughs> and says, "Have her honed by 10. Oh. I've had someone give me that talk. Well, I was I would look forward to giving that a, talk. Yeah, a father of a daughter probably has that planned as soon as the kid is born. I, like, my, I am going to threaten the life of this girl's prom date someday. My favorite version of that was uh, in Castle. Mm. When uh, <laughs> <laughs> Michelle is shaking her head, I'm not going to do it. So sexist. I know it's sexist. I know it's sexist. It's a comedic trope. It's, look, we're we're men. Give us our sexism. No, wait, don't don't give no, us no, our no, sexism. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm opposite, sorry. opposite. Castle showed up at the door oh. when it was like his daughter's prom, but in like a a, a plastic coat covered in blood, wielding a chainsaw, <laughs> and that's like the best example of that I've ever seen. But in, but he, but he, to he, Michelle's point, he, the commodification of your daughter's virginity look, is. Fucked up as hell. Prom is such a horrible tradition as is. I mean, I, I went to prom. I got stood up. And I'm not bitter about it or anything. But uh, <laughs> Prom sucks. Prom, I went to prom. Prom, prom sucks. Uh, and this sort of thing of like dressing your kids as miniature adults and putting them through this weird sort of pre-sexual, sexual Well, it's prom. Ritual. They're like 18 yeah. by that point. At least they're supposed to be. Well, but here we have 15, 16. So maybe it's junior prom. I don't know. I don't but. Know uh, it's a it's a weird and, and, premise. Andy and Dora are going to the same prom, by the way. And oh yeah. So I guess somebody, she's dating a senior. Or something. Yeah, I guess I so. Yeah. And maybe the girl is also a senior. So anyway, Dad gives the the date the talk. But he quotes the movie Taken, and he freaks the kid out, and he mm. runs away, and Dora's mad at her dad with good fucking cause. Mm. And then and then what happens is they manage to like find the guy. Dora actually gives him a promposal back like the night of prom when they're in their prom yeah, outfits which is and, yeah. which is vaguely cute and then they take them all to the prom and then Ben and Alice watch the prom from a window mm-hmm. like a pair of creepy creepersons and then they go to the prom and they, da- and and they, they dance, dance and embarrass everybody and embarrass everybody which is creepy and there should be chaperones there mm-hmm. kicking them out because yeah, that's if, inappropriate. And that's, if they went in there and like tried to cut a rug, it's like, oh, nostalgia. We'll just go out there and cut a rug with all these teenagers. And the, the chaperone said, yeah, we have this every year. Go. You know? need to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not appropriate. That scene is not in this episode. Oh, yes. And Mary's in the episode. And who cares? <laughs> no one cares. 
nothing to do with anything. Nothing to do. Mary is in the episode, and who cares? Really, should have been the name of every episode. Yeah. The next episode's actual name okay. is "In a World Where Worlds Collide." First of all, I like the title. Uh, <laughs> it is a good title. Secondly, this is the one good episode, and I'm tempted to praise the show in general for how strong this one is. Really. But, I think the prom episode is at least the funniest. Okay. It might be the funniest. I think this is the strongest, though. But I'm only going to praise this because it rises to the level of basic competence. <laughs> wow. And uh, Ooh. because every episode should have the following things. It should have uh, um, a cold open where we explain a past thing that Mary and Alice had together. Mm -hmm. It should explain who Alice and Mary were. It should explain sort of a, a thematic thing that goes on between the characters and how it relates to that thing that Mary and Alice had in the past. Mm -hmm. And it should involve Mary in the ultimate denouement. Yeah. So this is about how Alice has a lot of friends, but she doesn't want to introduce her friends to Ben because she's afraid of like a lot of past secrets getting out that Mary knows about. It's not and so, much so much past it's, secrets. She's just afraid. It's another thing where she's breaking the and, seal though. And, yeah, and it's going to be like, she also once feels the worlds like, are combined. Yeah, she doesn't like to yeah. co combine her worlds in her own worlds. And uh, Mary is there to support that fear. So Mary actually appears a lot and gives her advice to that effect. You cannot let your worlds blend. And she follows the bad advice. So she goes out on a date with Ben and her friends, but she deliberately goes to a noisy place where Ben and the friends will not be able to interact. It's like a Benny Hanna, which is stupid. Yeah, a bunch, bunch of loud chopping noises, yeah. and she <clears> makes <throat> sure people sit between them yeah. so that they can't talk comfortably. But the, the friends see what's happening, and they kind of break through, and Alice has to sort of work through her neuroses because her friends are too smart for that. But also her and, friends are nice, and they like Ben, and Ben likes them, mm -hmm. and it's actually fine. And it's actually fine, so... Mary's uh, bad impulses mm -hmm. are kind of put to the test and pushed aside through this drama. But here's the difference between this episode and all the other episodes in which that happens. That's the halfway point. Yeah. It's such a, that's a very simple progression and Imaginary Mary usually follows it. Here, there's a reversal where halfway through the episode, oh, I met your friends, she met, you met my friends and everything's fine. Now I want to meet your friends. But and he, then he panics. He starts to panic. Yeah. And now, yeah, but now she's sort of overcome her drama and now she has to worry about the other end of this. And I think it's fine. There's not enough rich story for one half of these, so it's fine that they're both in one episode. No, I think it's good. I think yeah. that it's better. You and, should, <clears throat> these shows should be denser than they are because yeah, they feel too they feel too padded as it is. Mm. So he throws a party and she starts walking around asking people how they know Ben, and everyone only knows Ben from work. Mm. He's, and, he's a building contractor. Yeah, so everyone's just like, yeah, I I, <clears throat> I pour cement for Ben, and she's starts getting really offended. It's like you don't want me to meet your real friends. Well, you just brought your coworkers, and then Ben loudly exclaims, "That's because I have no real friends." Mm. These are all people I know from work. I have three kids and a job. I, I don't said, have friends. He said he he said he even says I lost all my old friends when I got married. Like yeah. he had friends and he just lost contact with them when he got married. Yeah. And then when he got divorced, he lost all the new friends he made through the marriage. So now he has no one. Yeah. And which then, is which is you know a real plight of adult males. Adult anyone. You when you're in a relationship and you're yeah, friend, long enough, you mix are, friends and friendships are different when you're an adult. So yeah. Yeah. But like you know you you're in a close relationship with somebody, you mix friends, mm -hmm. and then if there's a divorce, particularly if there's any animosity in it people take sides and then you lose mm. some of your friends sometimes all of them and that sucks but well, and, of, and of course the gag is i have no friends these are all just friends from work and one guy walks away i thought we were friends man and that's <laughs> one of the other funny gags <laughs> yeah that's an actual funny gag mm. um and that's fine yeah you're right you know what that's the, you're right that is a good progression it's, it's, it's a, a good, good it's narrative. a good progression i yeah. think mary actually plays into it i think a it's little. 
And this, but here's the thing. That's what every episode needs to be. Mm. Just this basic level of thematic competence. Yeah. That's vaguely amusing and things kind of tie up really well. Yeah. I feel like up to this point, it's just been about these vague, bland kid characters and her their vague, bland it's parenting like a, advice. It's like a parody of a sitcom without any of the parody elements. Without any actual bite or satire. Yeah, yeah. without any commentary whatsoever. Like, and it just, as a result, brought, you're just doing the tropes. I brought it up earlier, but there was a sitcom called Unhappily Ever After. It aired on the WB. And mm. uh, it was actually a bit of it, one of their bigger hits. And it had a... I forgot who played the dad character, but he had kind of a psychological disorder where he had this imaginary friend who had appeared to only to him, played by a puppet that was voiced by Bob Goldthwaite. Ah, yes. Um, and, but Unhappily Ever After, it's right there in the title, is, is sort of like a married with children type spoof of the wholesomeness mm. of the sitcoms. It was that general Jeff family... Jeff Pearson was the name Jeff of the Jeff Pearson, actor. okay. Yeah. Uh, it was... That, I actually liked that show. I thought that the show was pretty very, funny. Yeah, because yeah, it, it was kind of dark. It had yeah. that basic family dynamic, but it was turned on ear. Everything, you know, the, the daughter character was there, but she was a horrible person. All the characters were really horrible in this very milquetoast environment. Mm-hmm. There was a gag I really liked. The, the first episode I ever saw of Unhappily Ever After, mm-hmm. um, I just happened to just cut to it, and it was everyone eating at the dinner table. And it was like, a, it's not a one-camera sitcom. It was mm-hmm. on a stage. There's mm-hmm. an invisible wall that we're breaking through. Right, right. And the kid was sitting with his back to the audience, which you normally never do, even if you have to, like, mm. fudge the geography uh, in a right, show like right. this. And the kids, the first line of dialogue was, Dad, why do I have to sit with my back to the audience? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see? That's see, a funny joke. There's, like, there's like <laughs> self-aware gags and something like that. Imaginary yeah. Mary, had, I imagine, was pitched that way. It's like, let's just take those segments from Unhappily Ever After and turn it into the whole show. Yeah. We have this weird critter that's giving bad advice to a horrible person, thus satirizing the notion of the sitcom. We have, you know, the usual bland suburban uh, would-be mom, but it turns out she has this, like, dark psychological disorder that we're never going to address. Yeah. The next episode is Alice the Mole, which is evil. Uh, Alice, is, is, is this with the camping trip? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Alice uh, finally, like, connects to Dora. It turns mm. out Dora, like, snuck out in the middle of the night uh, to Skype with a guy. She goes to somebody else's house to Skype with him. Yeah, and so now she's like, they're connecting, they're friends. And because they, ha- they have a, now a shared secret that yeah. dad doesn't know about. Yeah, and now Dora feels comfortable confiding in Alice, which is a, which is a big step for, for a new yeah. person to be involved now, in the family. And, and she, it's highlighted here just how horrible, how, just how horrible dad is. Yeah, this is mm. real shit, because what happens is Alice is just like, oh shit, mm. she snuck out in the middle of the night. I feel obligated to tell Ben... But if I tell Ben, you'll be violating I'll, trust. I'll be violating yeah. trust. That's a real like ethical dilemma that mm. she has to, to navigate. She decides to tell Ben mm. uh, over Mary's wishes. And Ben goes, this is great. No, not not the sneaking out thing, but now, now you now can you, spy on her for me. Spy, and he actually says, spy on her and report back to me. And he's really enthusiastic Yeah, he's got it. like now, a notebook in which he writes down all of these secrets that he's getting. <laughs> and it gets real evil real fast. Because yeah, that yeah. is, because I understand wanting to be protective of your child. That makes mm. sense. I understand going too far. That's a natural part of parenting. And hopefully you learn a valuable lesson about mm. scaling that back. You know, learning boundaries. But man, he is gung-ho about yeah. destroying no. her privacy. Yeah, yeah, he really, really, really wants every single detail. He has no respect for her boundaries. Not at even, all. At, not, I, I think for not her. Even, he has no respect to, for his daughter. Not even to her face. Like, he yeah. just wants to control her. Now, I heard an, an episode of This American Life about this very thing, about a parent who had a, a son who was at risk. He was taking drugs, mm-hmm. was hanging out with a bad crowd, and he decided to tap his son's telephone. 
oh. against his wishes. He yeah. actually he actually like hired a guy, recorded all Jesus. of his phone calls, and okay. Now he he wasn't really sure what he was going to do with this. He just wanted to know where his kid was. He was spying on openly spying mm. on his kid, and he said, and he had eventually. The kid found out, like they were playing around in the backyard, he and one of his drug-addled friends, and they found that his father was recording the calls. And he confronted his father, he's like, hey man, you're spying on me, that sucks. And his father, who was, wasn't really using this to sort of, like, he was using it to like sort of undercut his more criminal activities, but he wasn't really actively doing a whole lot other than listening to the calls. He was just trying to get a better idea of who his kid was. Had his kid listen to those calls. That's it. He didn't tell anybody else. He just said, I want you to listen to every single one of these calls. And the kid listened to the calls and realized what a loser he was. Like, what an asshole he sounded like on the phone. He kind of turned his life around. So that's, there's, a, that's a pretty distinct situation. It's a distinct situation. And it's also and a situation it had, that doesn't work here because Dora isn't really doing anything that wrong. She's not, actually. She's lying to her dad. And she's doing things that are kind of risky. But here's the thing. She's hanging out with... They're trying to, like, sort of take the edge off. Like, they're mm-hmm. not going out to, like, drug parties. They're going to science. They're going to the lake to stargaze. Yeah. And maybe have sex. Okay. Have the sex talk, dummy. Yeah, that's it. That's the end of this. Because what this boils down to is she finds out that they're going to have a sleepover with boys Uh at at basically camping. And rather than just say she's 16, this is like, this is where you lose your virginity, right? You should have had the sex talk by now, but now's a really good time to say, listen, no one. This conversation is going to be awkward, but here's the deal. Here's what happens. Here's what uh, you need to know. Make sure you're is, safe. Here are condoms. Yeah, this is the weirdest thing I'm going to do, but here's prophylactics. Make if, sure you use them. Yeah, use them if properly. you use them, make sure you use yeah. them by God. And even Alice is just like, you know what? I made some dumb decisions, and I realize now this is kind of what parenting is, is mm. you're going to make dumb decisions. I'm here to help you prevent you. I'm here to help prevent you from making the worst ones. Mm. You know, like I'm going so far that you make make decisions you genuinely horribly regret. So, and so, so here, so here's the problem now. Yeah. Now that we've gotten this far into the series, and you know, Mary is already an ancillary player, we realize that Alice is a better parent figure for these kids than their father. And the and the show and the, di- and the dynamic changes entirely. And now we realize we don't need Mary at all. Yeah. Because now we have Dad. Yeah. <laughs> to, the show to make the bad decision. The show doesn't work anymore. The yeah. show has completely neutralized its own premise. Mm. And now we're just watching kind of a crappy sitcom. Mm. Not even the worst sitcom I've ever seen, but kind of a crappy it, it, well, sitcom. It, it's not that it's necessarily crappy. It's just bland. There's yeah. no there's no laughs or edge or anything. It's yeah. just sort of typical. And then the show ends with them like okay, uh, they Wait. go to they go to spy on the kids as they're at the as they're at, as they're camping. Mm-hmm. Alice is saying, "Hey, listen, see, it's not that big a deal. We can just leave this be." And again, Alice I, is like, "Let's just trust them." Yeah. Now and, that we know, we've seen them. We know where they are, and we know they've lied to us. Let's just trust them and see how this plays out. And then they see that they have beer, and what they decide to do is call the other parents pretending to be teenagers mm-hmm. accidentally spill the beans and that way they get to ruin the daughter's camping trip without taking without any culpable, blame yeah. <laughs> which is shitty mm. they're shitty human beings and Alice is slightly less shitty now the, the, seeing as the drama was trying to maintain the relationship between Dora and Alice it dramatically makes sense but it's still kind of a, kind of a horrible yeah. thing to do at the end Alice, Alice since, decides that she will tell Ben you, stuff yeah. that is she will tell Ben stuff that doesn't betray trust that is simple daughter stuff but mm. there is a line that she cannot cross with Dora and she won't tell him everything mm. and he is upset about that because he's shitty 
Episode seven. Yeah, he doesn't learn a lesson. He's no, he just doesn't. upset. <laughs> Episode seven, the XX Factor. This, this is, is where, the... where we finally meet the ex-wife. And she finds out that Alice has let Bunny watch the real Housewives of something or other. Mm. And she thinks this makes Alice a bad parent now, figure, which... Bunny Bunny turns into kind of a monster over the course of the series. <laughs> Seriously, she... she, she becomes kind of a monster like she she takes bad advice and does terrible things and uh-huh. like she portrays people on in her crayon drawings as like these horrible creatures drug addicts yeah yeah, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. because she watches it all on tv well, because so. <laughs> she doesn't have a character so they just have her do whatever the episode demands at the mm. moment and giving her more extreme things to do is a cheap and easy joke yeah um so oh. basically the ex doesn't believe Alice is a good mom. Alice tries to compensate by making up. And I take them on gardening trips to a public garden. And, of course, the mom immediately calls her on that and says, oh, I'd love to go to that. Uh-huh. It turns out so you they, can't get one of those off the bat. So they have to pretend they're gardening in someone else's garden. They, they, there's a scene where they pretend to steal yeah. someone's garden. Yeah. Alice, I'm sorry, Bunny spends the whole time just running around chasing a butterfly. And we find out later that she ate the butterfly. Yes. <laughs> which is and, and I love, funny and dark, well, but I, weird. I, not only did she eat the butterfly, but they kind of keep, keep, keep it in, they take it in stride. It's like, uh, and I ate a butterfly. Uh-huh. Let's get some real food in you, kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really? You ate that butterfly? Really? Yeah. That's not weird at all. That's not a problem. It was one of those poisonous butterflies. Yeah. yeah. What other small creatures have you hurt today, Bunny? <laughs> mm. I, I bit the feet off a cat. It's yeah. like, you're terrible, Bunny. Uh, meanwhile, Andy and Dora fake being sick so they don't have to run a mile in gym class, mm. but it rains, so the mile has been postponed to the next day, and Dora fakes being sick a second day without Andy, betraying their trust, and then they run the mile together. And it's about the relationship between Dora and Andy, which is fine because fine. We, there weren't a lot of scenes of them interacting, and it's great that they have a relationship it's but at least fine. it's established but what's really i think the thing by this point is this really became the andy show it's really about dealing with this super neurotic kid who can't handle any problem on his own and constantly relies on his parents least, or for his friends to help le- solve this at problems. least in the last episode it was about all of the kids problems mm-hmm. like they each had their neuroses to be dealt with oh yeah um in, in the, the final episode uh, yeah. the okay then there was oh and we, t- to the show's credit the ex-wife wasn't a complete harridan. <laughs> yeah, she's she's overreacting a little bit, but she's not wrong. Yeah. She's not wrong. Alice is kind of crap. Everyone's mm. kind of crap. She, she seems like a sensible person, and yeah. they talk about how, you know, we were just workaholics, and it wasn't going to work out. Okay, so. We're going we're gonna to skip the eighth episode because it's supposed to be the last episode, and you can yeah. tell. So we're going to talk about the ninth episode, which probably should have been, like, the third episode. I would say even the second, because this yeah. is about the first time Alice has spent the night at Ben's place. Yeah, it's called Sleepover. And the idea is that um, she when she, they spend the night together and then she has to go home and then it takes like an hour to get home and get back to sleep. And she's constantly tired Yeah, at, at work. So it's time if we're going to spend the, if I'm going to spend time over here, I need to be able to spend the night over here. Mm. And Ben flips out because she has met the kids during the day and she doesn't know how terrible they are at night. Well, it turns out they all have weird sleep disorders. Yeah. Uh, that he didn't mention before because, well, yeah. he, I guess he didn't need to. And yeah. uh, Andy, Andy and, has snoring like you wouldn't believe, or at least I believe it because my dad used to snore like that. <laughs> One of my neighbors used to snore like oh, that. Like, we like, had the same neighbor. I remember that. We I could, was worried we could about hear, that. Guy. Yeah, you could hear him. That's through, a like, condition. Several walls. That was insane. Um, and then Dora has a tendency to watch horror movies before bed and then have nightmares and freak oh, out. And, and she sleepwalks when she has nightmares. Yeah. So yeah. And then. And Bunny just has a litany of problems. 
which boil which are everything from I have to I need to drink water. Okay, I understand mm. how that works. To but, dad, turn over my pillow. Mm. Fuck you! You she's, turn over your own pillow. She's she's six and she's like right at the cusp where you're not sure how much you can baby them anymore. You, but she, she can turn over her own goddamn so, pillow. Uh, Alice is tired at work, and I love that at work she like reveals to, and this is a character we saw in one previous episode, but she's like a working mom of an infant, and mm. she says, "You know what? We set up this really comfortable bed in a cardboard box in a back storeroom that you're not supposed to know about, but we understand that you now you're looking after kids, so you sleep there during the day. Mm-hmm. You have to sign up. I think that's kind of a cute premise, yeah, but then it turns out that Al- Alice reveals that the kids are like six. 14 and 17 yeah. <laughs> and she gets think, laughed think, at in her face uh, because that, this is for babies yeah, you know <laughs> babies you can't control so the, those kids should be able to sleep through the goddamn night so she uh, suggests very proactive solutions and ben is a little skittish because he has solutions he has a snow shovel by his bed so he can turn his son at night <laughs> Uh, he has a way of talking down his sleepwalking daughter, and he's just ready at a moment's notice whenever Bunny makes a demand. Yeah. Like, so he ha- he has a system. He doesn't sleep well, but he's got a system. Yeah, so she comes up with solutions. Mm. She gets Andy a device mm. that's supposed to help him make sure he doesn't sleep on his back, and it turns out it's her own bra with, like, two tennis balls in it, so it's not comfortable to sleep on his back, and he doesn't mm. realize that until, like, the next day. But it works. C- clever idea, actually. Clever idea. Yeah. You should make that device. That's oh. not bad. But, but he's he's embarrassed because he's wearing a woman's bra. Of fine. course he is. Uh, he gets Dora her own phone, her own iPhone, which is way yeah. too which is way too extravagant a gift for no particular reason. And your dad's right about that. Yeah, that, that, um, that's something you get for like a birthday or Christmas. You don't just yeah. give your kid a phone. And she has it so that she can like sort of live blog her nightmares and sort of, and that's actually a relatively healthy like way yeah, to deal with that problem. Mm. And then Bunny, she gets Bunny her own water like, cooler, water yeah. cooler, which of course breaks and floods the room. Mm. Uh, that one was probably an unnecessary idea. Uh, and then uh, they all learn a valuable lesson and they get some fucking sleep. Yeah. That's kind of it. It's not much of an episode. <laughs> it's not much of an episode, but you know, it's, it's, very small problem, but it is a problem they have to deal with. And again, yeah. this is episode three. <laughs> this but is he, not episode. This is not the one you go out on. But what's interesting is that, and we're going to re- talk about this when we talk about the season slash series finale. Mm-hmm. Is over the course of not even what we would normally consider a full season on network television, we've kind of run the gamut on <laughs> shit Alice can freak out about. <laughs> and indeed, mm-hmm. by the last episode, Last Dance with Mary. Ben is about to ask Alice to marry him. Yeah. And Mary realizes that if she he asks her to marry me, I'm I she doesn't need me anymore. Uh uh-huh. And we've kind Which of it, run out we've kind well, of run through the whole show and this probably should have been a movie. It's kind of yeah, well it's <laughs> it's kind of weird that now we realize that Mary has thoughts independent of Alice. Yes. And in fact <laughs> We uh okay. Well, we'll talk about that. We'll in a ta- but yeah, she, there's a big reveal. There, there's a so they're digging through clothes, and Alice finds the ring that Ben is going to use to propose, and she kind of panics. It's actually, kind of a sweet moment. It's like, uh-huh. oh dear, this is real. Yeah. And we look at Mary, and Mary begins to vanish. We realize, mm-hmm. oh, she's like, actually, like in Back to the Future, like her arm disappears. Yeah. So she like hides her arm and says, oh crap, I'm. 
she doesn't need she's not neurotic she's just sort of a, a real adult now mm-hmm. she doesn't need the imaginary friend and the imaginary friend starts to vanish great premise yeah it's fine the, she is she dramatic up and, and it yeah. brings closure to this whole story makes and, very important in the story and yet yeah. Mary has also you know she's also pushing for Alice to be an adult She's, she's, she's kind of undercutting it a little bit because well, she does want to keep she, existing, uh, but she in unders- the end, she, she unders- supports Mary. Well, here's the thing. She represents Alice's worst impulses. So she says, you need to run away. Just break up with this guy right away. Go party, because mm-hmm. that's what you are happiest at. But she also realizes that her function as an imaginary friend is to help her grow well, up a little bit. As Alice's worst impulses vanish, the representation of her worst impulses vanish. Right. So there you go. Uh, now, the gag is they go off on their big anniversary date, and she knows he's about to propose to her, but... The the boot in which he had hidden the ring has, due to the overzealous exploits of <laughs> Dora and Andy, been put in a clothing drive at the high school. They want they want to brag about how much clothing they can give, so they're essentially just stealing clothes from around the yeah. house. So he doesn't have the ring. He doesn't know Alice has seen the ring. Uh-huh. So he's thinking, Oh, okay, I just I won't propose to her right now. This sucks, mm. but no harm, no foul, and I can do it later. Alice thinks he has decided not to propose, so and she, she freaks out. Off, yeah. And she goes to like the, the airport and says like, what's the I have three hundred dollars what where can I go and they're like Des Moines or Tampa I don't, Tampa well she says I, I I have no plan I want to fly today I want to go to Paris and she's like okay if you want to fly today that's like thirty five hundred dollars it's like I got five hundred dollars where can I go and I say you can go to Iowa or Tampa. Tampa it is. And, and then Mary appears on the desk and says, you know what, let's let's go to Tampa and Alice says, you know what? I don't want to be that per- like in that moment. She's like, I don't want to be this person, and she leaves. Well, I, uh, Mary, and, and Mary even even supports that. Yeah, and Mary says, you know what? You're right. You need to yeah. go back and at least find out if there's an explanation. F- find out if there, you have to go back to Ben. And in that moment, Mary disappears. Yep. And and, and you know what? Closure. It's well, great. actually, she, she goes back. She doesn't say go back to Ben. She says, you clearly love Ben. Mm. You propose. No, oh, there you go. That's and, right. That's and, right. That's right. And Alice proposes mm. to Ben, and Ben decides has gotten the ring back. He decides to propose right back, and they get engaged, and Alice goes back to her apartment, starts talking to Mary, and realizes that Mary isn't there anymore. Oh, man. And then... We hear Mary's voice. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, oh, this is fucking weird. <laughs> this is so weird. And then she opens the door, and it's Rachel Dratch. As a male person. Now, yeah. what I thought they were going to do is that they were just going to introduce this new character that Alice was going to be friends with, played by Rachel Dratch, and then that would be the show, because it's cheaper. <laughs> and they don't. It's just a weird cameo. Well, I don't know. What's cheaper? Uh, getting Rachel Dratch, like comedy superstar, or a CGI character? Getting Rachel Dratch. <laughs> to, to, Rachel Dratch, by the way, who was never on set. She only she recorded all of her dialogue in New York, and they yeah. shipped it over to Burbank or wherever yeah. they filmed. Getting Rachel Dratch is cheaper. <laughs> uh, but I, I can almost guarantee it. Okay. Um, and then, uh, uh, yeah, so she... Starts having conversations about what to do now. We need to get a house. Oh, good. This house is only three blocks away from my ex-wife. And she's like, oh, really? That's great. And she starts freaking out. And then Mary shows up. Aww. And they realize that even though she's getting married, she's still going to have problems and she's still going to need her best friend. Okay. Mm. And then Alice asks, and this is basically the last thing in the series. Aww. Where did you go? And then we... And, s- and, and, she's, then- and Mary <laughs> says, Tampa... And what we find out is she went to the black death room and under the skin. Yeah, I was about to say she went to the back of the truck and under the skin. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, in this black void with nothing. It's just her and she's all alone. Yeah. And the and the implication is that that would have been eternity. And I'm like, 
What? Like the, that's the imagine, fucked up. The imaginary friend goes to the inky black void, which which is which, which raises a lot of questions. Well, I guess it was addressed in Inside Out. What happens to your imaginary friend? They just sort of drift away. But that's not drifting <laughs> away. That's going to hell. And this and this raises a lot of questions because if indeed is, is that Mary, where she was for the last X years when she vanished right? this time, which would explain why she was so scared of going back. Mm-hmm. And it really raises a lot of questions that maybe should have been introduced earlier, which is. Like our imaginary is imaginary friends. Are they? Are there more than one of them? Are there rules? Mm-hmm. In Drop Dead Fred, we found out they go to like a psychologist's office, and there's a bunch of little kids. And uh, Drop Dead Fred recognizes like the other he, imaginary like, friends. He sees all the other imaginary friends. You could have done this. And, we and, at the, and at the end, we learned that Fred like transferred over to another girl of that yeah. movie. What if to, to spoil the yeah, end of Drop Dead it's, Fred? It's not that good. It's, <laughs> a, it's a lot of people like that movie. Watch it again. It has problems, but it's it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. But then, like, we could have had a thing where it's like maybe Mary goes to Bunny. Yeah. You yeah, can admit yeah. that work. What if Bunny gets or, an imaginary friend well, and then they talk to each other? I would other? have thought that it would have gone to Ben. That, I, like, again, yeah. I think Ben should have had his own imaginary friend, mm-hmm. too. I think, mm-hmm. what if, what if, here's an idea. What if you did this as a sitcom? Everyone has an imaginary friend. No one loses them. They're, okay. Maybe they don't talk <clears throat> about them when you're an adult, but, like, everyone every has Every single one. character. And the, the imaginary friends, however, don't necessarily interact. Maybe they do, maybe they're, they don't. They're just sort of like the little demons on their shoulders that speak their impulses. You have a high concept mm-hmm. that they forget to make high. <laughs> they just sort of throw it in the background. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. no, this is the premise here. Play. I feel like... Enjoy it. I f- have this- Mary do things and interact with things and mm-hmm. maybe physically touch things mm-hmm. because otherwise we're dealing with a pitch situation where your protagonist is having hallucinations that she's interacting with and no one's talking about the fact that she's mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, did not this, expect this, these this two was shows an, to link up that cleanly. This was an ABC series, and you can clearly tell that it was pitched as something darker and edgier. And we even mm-hmm. saw, you know, Mary used to look more like a monster, and she was supposed to be less likable. And they decided they wanted the character to look and act a little bit more likable. Mm-hmm. This is a Disney company, and they're expert at sanding edges off of things. Yeah. And... Uh, as such, you can tell that a lot of executives really early on in the development process got really scared. It's like, we can't have something as weird and edgy as a WB sitcom. We can't have Unhappily Ever After because that's like the height of edge. <laughs> so we, we have to take that concept and make it as, make it into just sort of as bland a sitcom as possible. Now, occasionally that bland sitcom is charming enough because of the cast. I think the kids are actually pretty good. I think Jen Elfman is fine. She's okay. She doesn't have much to work she with. Do, she doesn't have much. She's, she's, she's playing like, a version of her character from Dharma and Greg she's that's like just less interesting. Dharma. She's yeah, 50% Dharma. She's 50% Dharma. Pretty much. So, you know, she's Dharma without any sort of defining feature. But, you know, the sitcom is so bland that the characters are just sort of pressed into this bland white piece of toast. Yeah. And they previously had something really interesting to spread on that toast. Like, you know, balsamic garlic jam mm, with <laughs> lavender infusion yeah yeah and somebody said no no we got to scrape that off we have this welch's grape and no. we can't use a lot of it <laughs> spread it out add it so, yeah, add so, it with an so, gonna, so here here we have this piece of white toast with a very thin layer of very boring jam yeah. if if imaginary mary had lasted a hundred episodes i know what i would have liked it to have done i would have liked it to have delved into sort of like the mythology of how imaginary friends work and explored that. Or at but least what I the think... dark psychology of Alice's character. Yeah. Like why she needed that. How deeply wounded is she that she still has this yeah. thing in her life? We, I, we, need, we never met her mom. Yeah. Her mom's probably a monster. But here's the thing. And honestly, what if we saw the whole world through the psychology of someone who does indeed view things in these mm. 
cartoonish extremes. What if we met her mom and she saw her mom as an actual monster? My point is, is that there's so many different opportunities mm. inherent to the premise and they ignore them, which is why no matter what I would want to happen over the course of 100 episodes, <laughs> I can probably tell you what would happen over the course mm. of 100 episodes. Boredom. More, more boring sitcom plots. Yeah. They, very they, conventional stuff. They, they were so uninspired and they were so happy with this boring corner they had painted themselves into that they, they would have just kept on riding that train. Yeah. Was Imaginary <laughs> Mary canceled too soon? <laughs> no. I'm amazed this made it past the pilot. I, I'm, I'm amazed. I'm, it's such a bad idea, and it's so badly handled. Especially because the pilot stinks. The pilot is really bad. It's, it's the worst episode of a not very good I show. Th- I think here, here's the reason why they committed. It cost too much to do that special effect. That, that, they had that, to that, get that, something out that of they it. had already hired so many special effects technicians to animate Mary, mm-hmm. and they had spent so much time just setting things up in a way that they could interact with the CGI creature that they had to keep on pushing. Had they used a puppet? Would have been canceled. Well, there's a, there's a couple of with, things. With these script, if they'd use a puppet, even a monstery looking puppet with mm-hmm. the scripts, it would have been canceled. Right I, my, I have a couple of theories about it. Uh, one is uh, Goldberg can do no wrong right now. Yeah. Like, there's probably like an executive at ABC who thought the Goldberg was going to be a terrible idea for a show mm. and it was going to get canceled. And then it was a huge hit and he's like got real gun shy. It's like, whatever he wants, we'll do it. <laughs> even if I don't, I thought the other one was terrible too. Imaginary well, Mary will probably be the next big thing. Mm. And then it turns out it wasn't. Uh, the the other theory I have was it's very very similar. Uh, this came from Happy Madison, the, which is Adam Sandler's production company, and Adam Sandler is rather infamous for making not very good comedies that are hugely successful. Yeah, that do find an audience so that people do enjoy for whatever reason. I don't mm-hmm. always know, but <laughs> maybe that's another thing where it's just like I don't know. Fuck it, he was. He was right about Grown Ups too. Maybe this will be a big one too. His movies are terrible, and I think so too. But this is his production company. Also, Adam Sandler is a, a, a perhaps notoriously uh, easy to get along with and fun to work with. Yeah. Otherwise, seems he like a nice guy. He wouldn't attract all the talent that he does yeah. and work with the same people time and time again. If he was a caustic, horrible person, he wouldn't yeah. get that. People like working with these people, and there's yeah. something really to be said about that hmm. in the entertainment industry. You ask sometimes, like, how do these people get work? They don't open movies. People like working with them. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge thing. When you have to work really intensely in collaborative mediums with people for months or years, enjoying the process is so worth the money. Uh, so <laughs> worth it. I do think Uva Boll gets to keep making movies. He's a gregarious fellow. We talked to him yeah, once. When he's, <laughs> when he's not punching film critics in the head, he's uh, great. Uh-huh. Which he did. He, <laughs> you recruited them. It's a he, hell of a thing. He asked. He did. Those that, critics got in the ring on their own volition. Yes. Yeah. yeah it was a weird thing. Look that one up. Um, so yeah, Imaginary Mary. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a reason this one was canceled. But it, you know what? It sounds like a bad idea, and it was. I don't think it sounds it, like a bad idea at all. I think it sounds like an. I think if you're just going to remake Drop Dead Fred, remake Drop Dead Fred. I, and, I guess you have the IP attached. Yeah, but, um, why not? Like I don't that that would be fine. But like if you're not going to remake Drop Dead Fred, you better bring something mm-hmm. to it. And the premise that they have is so rigid it's not about a woman who never lost her imaginary friend and blah it's mm. about someone who has an imaginary friend to come along to solve a very specific series of problems mm. and when those problems are done we don't have a show <laughs> it's just like it's kind of like third rock from the sun the first few seasons when they were dealing with all of these sort of stranger in a strange land things where they don't understand human language culture mm. whatever that's the gag yeah. They didn't have a gag on top of that. So by season five or however fucking long it lasted, and it lasted a don't, long time. Don't you think they, they would know humanity They mostly oh, yeah. did, and the show got really generic for a while, and there was a few tropes, a few alien bits, 
William Shatner came back a couple of times. And then that which, was it. Which, by the way, has one of my favorite sitcom gags of all time. Oh, the yeah? episode where Shatner came back. Mm. Shatner plays like their supreme alien commander. The he's big also giant in a, head. The big giant head. And he's yeah. William Shatner. And when uh, the other aliens go to meet him for the first time, he has to fly from somewhere. So he comes in at an airport. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, this is totally like a nerd thing. They, they they land and Shatner gets off the plane. He's in a captain's hat and in a leather jacket and he's drunk and he staggers off the plane. He's like, oh, it's, these airplanes, these human airplanes are so weird. And you know what happened when I was on the airplane? I thought I saw something on the wing of the plane. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's William Shatner. John Lithgow says, the same thing happened to me. <laughs> Okay, that's... Isn't that's, that clever? That's a that's funny... cute, because they, they both did that. In, in, oh, sorry. It's a funny joke. Stop throwing things. Throwing around bottle caps. You're a bad person. <laughs> I'm so excited about that gag. Um, let me ask you a question, because we didn't actually, like, delve into this a little bit. Uh, did you have an imaginary friend? I did not. I had really? No, that was not something that ever occurred to me. Maybe, wow. I, maybe I did when I was so small, but I don't remember. I had no... Mm. I'll tell you what. I did have um, a host... In my head, I know that sounds weird. Um, that does sound weird. Well, I, 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 su- I, I had a lot of nightmares as a kid. I, okay. I suffered a lot of nightmares, and in order you to you had a crypt keeper for your nightmares. Uh, I had a crypt keeper, and it was and it was Jiminy Cricket <laughs> from the 1940 Pinocchio movie. It was like that, like that particular animated version of Jiminy Cricket. What? And uh, and he said, and today we're going to watch The Wizard of Oz in your head until you fall asleep and you won't have nightmares. And that that was as close as I got. Like I, I gave myself an MC more more or less. That's that's an interesting choice. I had a giant panther. You had a panther? I had a giant panther. Giant panther. Like, not quite like Clifford the Big Red Dog big, but Mm. like he filled most rooms. Okay. Yeah. It was like like a battle cat from uh, from He-Man. Just a really big fuck-off panther. Yeah, no, didn't... Didn't Didn't talk, didn't have a name. I I respected its boundaries. I didn't want to, like, imply anything. I I guess I was a little uncreative. I, I did have a childhood teddy bear, but I didn't name it or give it much of a personality. It was just my bear. There you go. So, <laughs> I guess Again, I, I wasn't imaginative enough if, to have an imaginary if the, friend. If, if the imaginary friend or if the toy has a name, they will tell you. Okay. Other than that, I'm not going to just say, oh, by the way, your name is Friday. I have a fucking name. <laughs> My name is Gwexlorg. Yeah. Hmm. Gwexlorg. <laughs> Jerk. Like, yeah. yeah just tell us the name. Uh, so that's that's Imaginary Mary. Mm-hmm. Not canceled too soon. <laughs> nope. Canceled, it's way too late, actually. <laughs> and if you want to watch it, it's currently on Hulu. <laughs> what do you? Okay, let's uh, let's read some letters. Okay, because uh, we didn't get to a chance to last week because you had to run. Uh, you can email us canceled too soon at gmail.com remember cancel only has one l mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people email us with suggestions for shows we don't read all those letters but we mm-hmm. do jot down the suggestions um and if you have questions uh do you remember watching these shows when they were on do you take issue with anything we said about <laughs> them um, did you really love imaginary mary we'd love to hear from you some people send us uh lists of their favorite tv shows and we talk about those shows that's fun too uh, also don't forget we have a patreon uh, account patreon.com slash cancel too soon mm-hmm. where you can get exclusive episodes you can vote for future episodes the latest poll has just shut down we will be reviewing conviction in two weeks mm-hmm. excuse me and uh yeah we got a bunch of cool shit on patreon for yeah so so various many donation fees. so many shows were canceled this last season that not only are we doing every episode this month on shows that were canceled this last season but we had a poll of four like four additional shows yeah <laughs> that so, were also all canceled this last season yeah uh we put it out to our patreon subscribers and you guys chose conviction so we the will film, do conviction the film the tv series with Haley atwell yes because so, everyone likes Haley atwell oh yeah she's great she is great all right what's uh, what's our first letter uh, this one comes from cecil 
Uh, I am sad the B-Movies podcast was canceled. So are we. Yeah. I only had just started listening, and I feel though it was canceled too soon. All no, well, it, it was on for six and a half years. We, that's, we, that's, we had, a good, that's a pretty good run. We had a decent run. Over 400 episodes, uh, that's not bad. I love you guys. Uh, I love that you guys try to get through every email and that it creates a connection with you guys that you don't get through most podcasters and YouTubers. We all appreciate that. Oh, thanks. Uh, secondly, most shows you speculate what would happen if it had lasted 100 episodes. Uh, My Little Pony did something fun for episode 100. They wrote fan fiction. They took all the ships that people liked, uh, that people liked, made Dr. Hooves the doctor and had him be a British scientist that is hundreds of years old. They made Dr. Derpy friends, Octavia and Vinyl roommates, and Lyra and Bonbon in a relationship, though not gay. So, uh, so it was so thin that uh, writers made fun of how unsubtle the writer was. That was fun. <laughs> Why can't more kids shows have openly gay characters? Um, yeah, uh, I, I love the new My Little Pony. I yeah. think last couple of seasons haven't been great, but the highlights are so fantastic. Mm. Like it's it's a really well written, mm. cheerful, but, like actually positive like thought, kid show. show. Yeah, I mean, like it's, it's a little formulaic, but like you know, I would be proud and happy to show mm. my kids if I had kids My Little Pony instead of <laughs> Sergio mm. the cat. There, there are a few kids shows that I encounter in my adulthood that I regret not having around in my own childhood. Like what? Uh, Invader Zim is one of those. Yeah. I really wish I had been able to see Invader Zim when so I was like great. 11. I, so it would have changed my life. Alright, what do we got uh, here? Here's a letter from Michael H. Uh, hi. First of all, my apologies to the tongue twister I emailed for the Defenders of Dinatron City podcast. No worries. I was happy to hear my email on the podcast, but I'll keep the sentences more succinct and frequent so Whitney doesn't have to struggle with Finnegan's wake length passages from now on. <laughs> Challenge I, him, I say. <laughs> you know, I, I've I've entered Finnegan's wake and stepped out quickly. <laughs> I've gotten all the way through Ulysses, but Finnegan's mm. wake, I'm not ready for yet. I've heard of Finnegan's rainbow. Not the same thing. <laughs> Finnegan's Wake was a book. Uh, James Joyce said it, it. He wrote it over the course of 16 years. It took him 16 years to write it. And he is on record saying it took me 16 years to write. It ought to take you 16 years to read it. <laughs> like it is that dense and strange. It's like one gigantic sentence. Uh, since that last email was from a while back, uh, Perversions of Science has both been finished and digested over a few months. It is a fun series where, barring that episode with the teenage serial killer, every one of them, including those you both didn't like, all have virtues. Hmm. The introductions from the host segments, however, were terrible, inappropriate for the more serious stories, and arguably a factor for the series being canceled for how they misrepresented the actual tone of the show. Even for the episodes about sex, the jokes were awful. If the series did last longer, these segments would have been drastically overhauled as another world where it lasted multiple seasons. It would become grating to have the one writing those terrible innuendo lines for the character. Um, I, yeah. I didn't mind, uh, what was her name, Matrix? Uh, uh, Chrome. Chrome, that's right. Chrome was the sexy robot who hosted the sci-fi horror series Perversions of Science, which won our first ever Cancel Too Soon award for show that was most canceled too soon. Most canceled too soon. Yeah, um, and it's a, and it's a really really solid, interesting. Even the misfires are fascinating mm. um, anthology series, and yeah, and the host segments are pretty bad. They, but, it's you know, awkward CGI. The, it's, they don't always match the tone of the show. They were going with what they were. They already had the same production team had with the Crypt Keeper, which was you know really bad jokes. But you know the Crypt Keeper is kind of a, a creep monster, and it matches yeah. the tone of that show, which is kind of playful and. Versions of Science wasn't always that playful. Anyway, uh, it's befitting that I rem- 
that I was reminded about perversions of science and terror vision to a lesser extent because I'm currently going through the first series of Masters of Horror for the very first time mm. since their original premiere. Barring one good episode by Lucky McKee, Sick Girl, very good. That's a great episode. Uh, and underrated ones that are slightly flawed. I like Cigarette Burns. Cigarette um, Burns is solid. Yeah. Uh, Cigarette Burns was, was actually co-written by a guest of the podcast, Drew McQueenie. Yeah. Who came in to talk about Police Squad. Mm-hmm. Um, I like uh, I liked Stuart Gordon's episodes. I, uh, those Dreams in the Witch I, House, I, was, I thought was really, really solid. His Edgar Allan Poe one was mm-hmm. a bit on the nose, but okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think it was it Joe Dante who did... A homecoming about the soldiers who come home from war to I, vote. I, I didn't see that one. Oh, yeah. That is a great yeah, okay. episode. A so great not. episode. And he says, barring one episode by Lucky McKee and underrated underrated ones that are slightly flawed, it's actually been a disappointment with the critically acclaimed episodes, John Carpenter's and Joe Dante's, being the worst so far. Really? So, yeah, I guess he disagrees yeah. with you. Okay. Yeah, Having dated enough. so much because of the aspects it was once praised for. Yeah. It's apt to think about perversions of science again in contrast as, while only 30 minutes for a good story can be disappointing, nearly 60 minutes for an episode of horror episode is a lot of time to fill. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have been worse for me because of this upon reflection. It's interesting if you ever cover any more horror-related anthology shows because there is a lot of them. And if you want to look up American horror television on Wikipedia, this issue crops up for... If this issue ever crops up for you, you can compare and contrast. What's interesting is when you do a horror anthology series, and there's plenty more that were canceled in one season or less, we'll do more of them over time. Uh, There's a couple of different ways to handle it. One is you try to do a horror short. It's very punchy. Sometimes you have to pad it out a little bit. Or you try to do a horror feature and cut out all the fat. And I feel like the Masters of Horror were generally trying to do that. The second thing? I think they were trying to make like a feature film, but as a result of not having enough time to really play. And a lot do, of it felt rushed, And often yeah. the budget is very, very low. Mm. They end up feeling a little more subpar than a lot of them probably mm. should. Except, I think some of them maybe should like, have been smaller. Except for Lucky McKees, which is brilliant. Which is really yeah. great. Yes. Yeah, Misty Monday is great in that. And it's not just because I have a crush on Misty Monday. No, Misty Monday is awesome. Misty <laughs> Monday and um, um, Angela, Angela Bettis. Angela Bettis yeah. is awesome in everything. I, uh, he's, uh, he continues, Admittedly, Terrorvision couldn't sustain merely 10 minutes for some of its episodes, <laughs> but at that short length and its tone, it was an advantage for them, while having to sit through an hour-long episode might have drastically changed your opinions on the series for the worse. Mm. Uh, Good point. Continuing, Point Pleasant and Mm. Manimal are still on my two-view list. And if I remember clearly, Earth 2 did also get a UK DVD release. He's from England. Okay. Uh, I also intend to watch Puchinski soon after sending this email. The one-off pilots have just been as rewarding to listen to, and in this digital age, most of them are online, worth viewing as treats between work, or even some uh, might be suspicious to look up and unwrap. Uh, Cheers from Michael H. Uh, P.S., it's sad that the B-Movies podcast will end. I'm a Cancel Too Soon fan, but I was there for the genesis of this show through the program you once hailed from. In fact, if it wasn't, if I remember rightly, for an episode of the B-Movies podcast where Will wanted to talk about the first few episodes of Kill La Kill, despite being a film podcast, I wouldn't have found this show, Ooh. and I hadn't heard of it before and downloaded my first episode out of interest for this review. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thus finding your work in general. Thus canceled Too Soon. Even if that's turned out to be a complete fabrication by accident or some stroke of luck brought me to that podcast and thus at least the two more years of entertainment, it at least brought me to that. The podcast will also be greatly missed even if I wasn't a frequent listener. Following the Halloween specials, uh, it became an October tradition for the last two years now. They themselves will be greatly missed by me most this year. I'm going to miss that. We're going to do Halloween episodes of Cancel too soon, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to be the same way we did them on the B-Movies podcast, obviously. Thank you for listening, though. What do we got? Uh, This comes from Kevin. Um, Representation, merchandising, and the importance of diversity. Hmm. Uh, Whitney's comment on the latest episode regarding representation came off as kind of tone deaf. 
I apologize for that. Fair I enough. can do that. I can be brash. And, uh, and it's the sort of comment on representation and merchandising that is often heard from people who have never had to worry about being represented. I think I complain. My beef is with commercialization and people complaining that they're not being merchandised to enough. Yeah, and your, that's, your that's, issue is you think merchandising is in and of itself bad, um, whereas people the issue who don't, of rep- get, don't get merchandise but, to feel un- underrepresented. And I, and I hope I articulated my, my own idea behind it, which is merchandising is a fact of life, whether or not we like it. And mm-hmm. as a result, representation matters because mm-hmm. it is a huge way that people experience everything. Well, it's, it's, you go it, into, it, it you go into a toy shop and you don't see yourself. You feel like something's wrong with you. And, yeah, um, and that's shit. And, and I, I feel that it's, even worse, it's made even worse because that's all tied up in a corporate pocket somewhere. Right, but and, and while I can see where you're coming from, mm. try explaining that to a five-year-old yeah. who just wants a toy that, that, that represents them. Right, right, right. Let's get back to the okay. letter because uh, I'm sure when, they're going to make good points. When Rey, in spite of being an, the new central figure of the Star Wars cast, is excluded from the merchandise in favor of a bunch of dudes, the implied message is that girls don't matter. It's all... It, it's also uh, seems informed by an attitude that I have seen all too often recently that misogyny and racism in branding are the result of capitalism rather than something pervasive in society, and that somehow if we were to dismantle the capitalist system, racism and misogyny would work themselves out, which is both naive and often used as an excuse to disregard questions of diversity and representation in the first place, which results in mostly white men continuing to place themselves at the center. You can dislike capitalism all you want, I certainly do, but lack of diversity in merchandising is still lack of diversity. It's a symptom, not the disease itself. Apologies if this letter comes across as a bit intense, but this is subject tends to stick in my, it, stick in my craw. It's a valid, um, important point. I yeah. actually agree 100%. Uh, Whitney I, I, has I, different I, angles. No, well, I, I agree too, but I when I... I try to ad- address the disease rather than the symptom. And right, but the difference is that the symptom isn't really affecting you the way it affects other people, yeah. and maybe you, that mm. perspective isn't helpful. Mm. You know? Like, it's 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 basically talking about someone else's problem yeah. and, yeah. Not, and not fully appreciating here's, the way that they're talking about it. As a cisgendered white male, mm. uh, and here's something we all need to do, we cisgendered white males, I'm one too. is... Not chime in first. Mm. Someone says, hey, here's a problem with misogyny. And our instinct is to, well, here's what I think. Here's our job now. Shut the F up. <laughs> I've been trying to stay out of like, yeah. I, 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 I've been trying to retweet and like sort of uh, mm. signal boost other people when it comes to sort of topics like that yeah. as much as I can. If I have a, a perspective I think is valid. I'll, I'll share yeah. it, but I'm mm. trying not to make it about me mm. when the t- subject isn't about me. Yeah. yeah. You know, like so, it's, it's, it's difficult when you're a writer and you have to t- t- tackle well, these topics sometimes. It's but. also difficult when you want to make sure you're seen as being a compassionate person. But again, that's making it about you. So, yeah. Uh, it's it's a hard it's, ba- it's a hard line. It, to, it's to it's it's a, a line that we cisgendered white males have to walk. Um, yeah, you know I'm bisexual. That doesn't get me any purchase. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't doesn't help. Yeah, it doesn't help yeah. anything here. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 something that I, I I've myself have been working yeah. on. So, so so here's what I'm gonna say. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had some letters take us to task for things. Mm-hmm. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. It's fine. Tell us. It's tell fine. us when we need to grow because we're trying to grow. When we <laughs> and, say and, things and that we, are we need that it, wrong, we did we did one this episode, and my wife just gave me this head shake, just like no, you're not the modification the- of daughter's virginity is not healthy, and I'm like, <laughs> you're right. I should have brought that up first. I'm wrong. Thank you, and we're gonna move on. <laughs> Here's a letter from Safyan, uh, and this this one came to the B Movies podcast email, so okay. it's uh, kind of on on both. Okay. Uh, dear Mr. Bibiani and Seibel, 
Alas, I've got no words to describe my grief about the canceling of your wonderful, witty, and bewitching B-Movies podcast, Aww. one of the three I'm paying attention to, the others being by your friends and co-hosts from the Linoleum Knife and What the Flick. Is What the Flick a podcast? I'm from Germany, and uh, be, and old school just got a smartphone three... Being old school got a smartphone just three months ago. I feel your listeners, fans, and friends already expressed their and my pain in beautiful letters as far as I notice them via, well, you. Hmm. Um, I've never reacted to any of those podcasts, but a letter from your Croatian listener... Vjekoslav, it's not oh, yeah. spelled correctly. Uh, sorry, I googled male Croatian names and only found this one spelling. <laughs> um, who described himself as disabled and depressed and happily in love with movies and your work and it impressed me and it got me thinking. Hmm. If you would be so kind as to forward him my, my ideas, I would be thankful. He asked oh. for movies specifically portraying his kind of life situation realistically and your suggestion for the sessions is indeed very right. There's another one with Helen Hunt with a similar thing called The Water Dance oh, uh, with one. Eric Stoltz in the main part. It was from 1992 hmm. and it features a wonderful tender, tender thereby frank and explicit love scene between paraplegic Stoltz and a young shining and shy Helen Hunt. Huh. Another one is a lifelong favorite of mine. It's directed by John Badham. He of uh, John Smokey Batham. and the Bandit hmm. and carries throughout it uh, by a divine Richard Dreyfus. Uh, I know this one who claims he was at the time on drugs around the clock and doesn't remember anything about shooting the movie. thus rejecting his own performance as a disabled sculptor who claims he has a right to die. Although he's still in a relationship with a sharp mind and warm hearted ballet dancer. I love it. The title is whose life is it anyway? John Badham didn't do Smokey and the Bandit. You're thinking Hal Needham. Oh, Hal Needham, sorry. Yeah. John, John, Bandit, John Bandit did uh, Saturday Night Fever. I, sorry, I mixed him up. Okay, just checking. I wanted to make sure no, someone was already tweeting us. But they, both, <laughs> they both have ham in their names. One is a bad ham, one needs ham. All right. Uh, I, I, I've adored it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my mnemonic. Uh, when, when I had... <laughs> Which I, I have adored it since my childhood days. I just learned from the clip above that uh, he included a clip that it also features the late great John Cassavetes' last acting job yeah. done with grace and power. Wow, John Cassavetes, great, great dude. Yep. Uh, if I uh, if I wouldn't have the feeling this email is already too long, I would also include my most beautiful most most beautiful movie experiences of recent years. Since I'm not as fond of new movies as my younger self has been. But The Artist is Present, the documentary mm -hmm. about Maria Abramovich. Okay. Stories we tell with and about the human miracle that is called Sarah Polly. Mm -hmm. uh, Beloved Sisters, the greatest living German director, Dominique Graf. I don't know Beloved Sisters. Don't know um, the mature and masterful Spotlight. And of yep. course, the one man sensation, Luck. Mm -hmm. I think as, as they go, well, lifelong play, favorites such as The Big Chill, The Great Escape, Hatari, mm. the original uh, Disney, The Jungle Book from 67, Lorenzo's Oil, which I have not seen, mm. The Odd Couple, surprisingly depressing. <laughs> oh, I love The Odd Couple. I don't think it's depressing. Pardon? I think, I think it confronts depression. I don't think it's mm. depressing. I, I, I didn't laugh a lot. I was more saddened well, by it's, The it's, Odd it's, Couple. It's not that kind of comedy. Yeah, I guess it's, not. It's, a, it's a character driven. Mm. Drama by two people who happen to be funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, chilly scenes of winter, aka head over heels, which you hadn't haven't seen but should see. Regarding your nice tribute to the tragically early past, John Hurd, and mm. uh, nearly anything by Dominic Graf. Again, sirs, I will always be thankful for the hours and hours of insightful, charming, and utterly enlightened chit chats between you two, and I look forward to your future paths, including canceled too soon. You're smarter than me, and thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Oh. Nice. Let's do one. Uh, and, and he does a follow up at, uh, uh, email oh. that just says, "How can I forget Spartacus?" <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. ah. <laughs> I forget Spartacus. 
funny. Uh, we here's one from uh, Daniel from Bogota, Colombia. Hmm. Well, hello to Colombia. Okay. Uh, hey guys, love the podcast work. I want to suggest the 2012 one season series Wonder Awake. It starred Jason Isaacs as a police. We've had a few we've had a lot of requests. For awake. For we'll awake. get to awake. We'll get to awake. We will definitely get. It starred Jason Isaacs as a policeman who, after car accidents, has his life divined into two realities: one where his li- wife survived the accident, one where his son did. He begins to struggle with his everyday life and his desire to be with his whole family. So he sees a psycho sees a psychiatrist in each world. Also, for some reason, that remained unexplained because it's unfair. Ended affair of one's unended after one season a cgi penguin appears in his realities there's what a, there's a cgi penguin in awake spoilers yeah all right well really, i'm interested it was really good but it got canceled because of bad ratings i'm sure you'll like it <laughs> okay uh you awake is one of the, is the mm. show we get a lot of requests for um mm. we've had a lot of requests we've had a lot of requests for a lot of shows and mm. if we did only the shows that we get the most requests for we'd burn through them too quickly and then yeah. we'd have only shows you don't know about or, or aren't interested in yet and our concern is we want to spread those out so that we still have some big ones to get to eventually and we also yeah. want to make sure that like people who tuned in on the first episode are still listening five years later because we haven't gotten to their episode yet <laughs> really string you along but I assure you we're, we've we're, got a lot of shit. we're the lost of podcasts there you go uh, this one comes from Sam uh, hi Bibbs and Whitney I have a couple hi. TV based questions that I think the two of you are well suited to answer First, why is it that a TV miniseries that has multiple 90-minute episodes often feels better than movies with multiple sequels or prequels? Obviously, there are good and bad examples of both, but in my opinion, TV does it better. Thoughts? Um, well, when you're making a TV miniseries... Or just a, a TV show, something well, like, no, um, like uh, Prime Suspect. Well, regardless mm-hmm. of how you do it, um, you are make, you're telling one story over a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a movie is doing the same thing. They're making sure that each individual movie works on its own. And even if they're trying to maybe tell a longer narrative, they're not telling it all within the same creative process. They have different masters, different rules they have to follow every single time. So you're not basically a miniseries is one long movie, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. Uh, and a series of movies is a series of episodes. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're all shot at once, like the Hobbit movies, for example. Um, but usually there's a lot of different factors that go into each one and it ends up changing the quality. There's also just a general attitude that people still have uh, to this day. Even though movies and TV are kind of blending thanks to streaming services, Mm -hmm. you can just sort of get them both and a lot of people equate the two very strongly. Mm -hmm. There's still a prevailing attitude, I think, in most audiences' mind of the way they ought to function. And a feature film, a lot of people feel, needs to conclude. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to make a series of feature films, you need to tell a story that concludes, and if it doesn't, it's going to feel unsatisfying and if it does it's going to just feel like a limp piece of a bigger puzzle and even if you watch them back to back you just have several limp pieces rather than a bunch of exciting episodes there's a good example of this coming out in theaters actually this week uh Mm. the new adaptation of it Mm. which was turned into a tv miniseries and it and the the way the story works actually totally fits because the book is all about these kids as kids Mm. and then they grow up and so mm. it's half of them as adults and half of them is, is the story mm. is them as kids. There's some flashback, but it's mostly just It's pretty self-contained. Yeah. Like each, one's, each, each one works. So the miniseries showed the kid half and then the adult half. And then for the movie, the fir- they're doing it as a movie with the kids. Mm. And then if it's successful, they'll do the one version of them with adults. They didn't shoot them all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, they can do that because they have to completely recast the movie anyway, so who cares? <laughs> um, but what they did, and I think part of this was just hedging their bets just in case it's not successful enough to get a sequel... But I think it's also just good writing. I, I've seen the new It. It's really great. And one thing I like about it is if there wasn't a sequel, it would work. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not a spoiler. It's just if you if they never made one, it would be satisfying in and of itself. It mm. leaves the door open for other things, but it's not one of these movies where it's like, but this is all just a teaser for the big Stephen King crossover movie. Like, yeah. no, this is a good <laughs> story. Is, it's and that's the biggest complaint about a lot of the superhero yeah. things. Each film feels like a teaser for the next, and you feel like you're never going to get well, to the when next. you see movies that are like created mm. with the intent of setting up a franchise. It doesn't even have to be the superhero movies. Look at something like The Mummy, for example, the most recent version of The Mummy. Yeah, yeah. They're spending so much time trying to set up other stuff that the movie itself, you know, you're doesn't taking feel away like a movie. You're yeah. taking away prime real estate from these characters and this story. And it doesn't feel organic mm. and it doesn't feel like this movie in and of itself was worth mm. telling. It feels like kind of a half-hearted trailer. But uh, to, to continue my, my point about sort of the way we think about movies as contained units, right. when you go to something like, say, Prime Suspect or Sherlock, where every single episode is essentially a feature-length film. Right. And it has a story that concludes. Why do those work better? And I think because of the way we think about TV and the way the makers think about TV, that we can go back to status quo at the end and that we're safe to conclude these things, change a few things and leave the world completely in place is, I think, a lot more easily accepted by makers and by audiences than they are in feature films where you expect something dramatic to happen. Yeah, like if it's a movie, some, something needs to something yeah. needs to be something huge. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it may just be sort of a tonal attitude sort of thing. That's a good point. Uh, anyway, as another question, Sam. Uh, secondly, why does the new Battlestar Galactica essentially sh- essentially show the episode in fast forward before each episode? Oh, yeah. There were a few episodes in the second season where they stopped, but I think they started back up again. I'm, I'm working my way through the second season for the first time, so I don't know if they keep doing this in later seasons. What is the logic behind this? I feel like it's a massive spoiler, and I avert my eyes every time they do this. Mm. Anyway, thanks for the great show. I always look forward to listening yeah, to Yeah, in the rebooted version of Battlestar Galactica, in the... The uh, opening credits for every episode, mm-hmm. they have this traditional, they show the same shots over and over again, setting up the premise. Cylons attacked. There's only about 40, 50,000 human beings left in the mm-hmm. galaxy, and they're all searching for Earth. But then there's a big action y montage, mm-hmm. and most of the clips are from the episode you're about to watch. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is that I, I, when I encountered this in Battlestar Galactica, when I first watched the show, when it was on the air, I was also fucking annoyed. And I did consider it a spoiler, and I also averted my eyes, because I thought that was lame. But what I realized, having watched a lot of older shows, is that that's actually a throwback mm. to when adventure shows used to do that every single time. Yeah. A show like, we've, talk, we've seen it on stuff like Manimal, mm. or The Master, or even, I think they even did it on Battlestar Galactica. And the original Battlestar, yeah. I think it's an homage to the older TV shows, which would give you a preview of what you're about to see, yeah, like a, it's like a, it's in like order a little, to grab you. It's like a little taste. And it's like, a, it's these, a these are dramatic things that are going to happen. And they're using this exact same format now for trailers on YouTube, where you have a two and a half minute trailer, but preceding it is a five second trailer for the trailer you're about to see. That's annoying. That's annoying as hell because it's not a long thing you're about to watch, but they really are desperate to Mm. grab you. Mm Mm-hmm. And my, I, I my, don't. My I favorite, think that one doesn't make sense. My favorite, TV, I guess. my favorite version of that was when the, the the remake of the Evil Dead was coming out, and you know if if you watch it on YouTube, you have you have to watch a few seconds of ad before you can like push a button and Usually, skip over yeah. the ad. Yeah, and I know this ads are starting to incorporate that. It's like here's where the button is. Don't touch it. And they had the monster from Evil Dead peeking out from underneath the floorboards. Mm-hmm. It was like staring at you with its wild eyes and it was just saying, don't skip, don't skip, don't skip, don't skip, don't skip. Like more and more intensely. <laughs> I thought that one was really cute. That's pretty fun. Mm. All right. Well, let's do a couple more. Do you want to? Okay. Uh, do, 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 do. Hold on. Let me find where it was. 
Whitney. Sorry, here we go. One job. Uh, request ger- uh, regarding a canceled show to discuss in future episodes from Dexter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds very formal. This is very formal. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Bibiani and Mr. Seibold. Hello. Uh, my name is Dexter Finnegan. Hi, Dexter. That's a great name, That's Dexter an amazing Finnegan. Name. You should have your own, like, coming-of-age show in the 80s. <laughs> the, the coming of age of Dexter Finnegan. Yeah. And I recently discovered both of you through Collider YouTube channel. Oh, so far, I think you are a great tag team who did a fantastic job of defeating the <laughs> defeating the team. Only stupid answers. We trashed those mothers, annihilated them, stomped them into this, the the dirt, and then we yeah. ate their corpses. And um, they were delicious. Yum yum. I hope you continue to dominate all other tag teams in the tag division, win the tag team tournament at the Ultimate Schmodown, and defeat whoever the tag team champions will be for uh, when you face them for the belts. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, that char- did not happen. We charged out of the gate on our first step and kind of. Well, I, I, you know, I will, to be fair, it was close. It was we close. Were, yeah. And I will say this. We lost by one point with mm. 26 points. Mm. That's a very. So we, we that's had a actually, high score. There's yeah. actually only a couple of teams in the first like round of the team division in the Schmodown, which is a trivia mm. league we're on uh, on YouTube. If you mm. don't know what we're talking about, it's really fun. <laughs> uh, we, went, we, we lost with 26 points. A lot of teams won with 26 points, and only like two or three teams got more than 26 points. Yeah, so we, we including did, the team we lost to. We did remarkably <laughs> we well. We did really good. It's just I feel like their other team did better. I feel like their final question was too easy. Way too yeah, easy. But, but whatever, we don't get can't, to make the can't questions. Complain. Yeah, yeah, can't complain. Uh, my favorite episode, which I have listened to on your podcast so far, is when you both shared your thoughts on Of Kings and Prophets. Oh, wow. That's yeah, not one well, of our more popular episodes. Yeah, so I'm glad uh, you like that. Thank gl- you. Yeah, glad you like that one. And uh, interesting show. Interesting show. Fascinating. I, yeah. um, I was wondering if you could share your thoughts on Tron colon Uprising. Mm. This show only lasted for one season. It aired on Disney XD in 2012 uh, to January 28th, 2013. I thought it was a great cartoon series, which should have lasted a lot longer than it did. Mm. Um, I, I guess... I think we've had a few requests for Tron Uprising. Not yeah. many. Not that many. Not, many, not as many as you would suspect. It's on our radar. I'm, I'm very familiar with it. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, no. I love... Tron Legacy, actually. I think Tron Legacy has really grown on me over time. Oh, yeah? I think it's a little stodgy in parts, but I think mm. it's because it's trying to be very intellectual, and I mm. think it hits some really good beats in that regard, and of course I think it's stylish as hell. The original Tron, not so much. I appreciate what it was trying to do, but I think that one's really stodgy as hell. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, we'll, we'll get to that at some point. My favorite thing with Tron that's ancillary to the movies mm. is actually uh, the movie, the TV movie, mm. I Want to Marry Ryan Banks, starring what? Jason Priestley, Emma Caulfield from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Bradley Cooper before he was famous. Okay. And it is a story about a, a, a woman who enters a reality TV competition to marry a celebrity, played by Jason Priestley. Mm-hmm. But sure enough, she has more chemistry with like his personal assistant or publicist, played Who's by Bradley, Bradley Cooper. Cooper. Right. And there's a bit where Jason Priestley oh, no, has this turn spend... between Bra- Jason Priestley right. and Bradley Cooper. What is, a what a horrible tragedy! Is it where Jason Priestley finally has to like interact with the, with another woman, and it turns out they have more chemistry, and they bond over their love of I'm trying to remember. There was some really shitty Tron video game that came out in like the mid 2000s. Oh, like, Tron. 2.0. Okay. Oh, I, like, and God, I remember that. And they had yeah. this long conversation about Tron 2.0 and how the multiplayer is so great. And I'm just like, 
Oh, Tron 2.0 paid you a lot of money, didn't they? <laughs> Ooh, this this uh, is some real bad product placement. Because like, it, well, it's, gamers it's, know when when you're talking about a game that no one gives a shit about and is also a bad game that uh, no one in their right mind likes. So if you're an actual gamer, you would never actually say you liked that game. This is at more, least not with passion. If that was a Disney TV movie, it would make total sense because mm-hmm. they like to cross-pollinate. Hence the Once Upon a Time poster on Dora's wall in Imaginary Mary. There but, you go. Yeah. No, that's no, that. that's. But I haven't seen Tron Uprising. Uh, it looks good. I've heard good things, uh, and we'll get to it someday. Yeah. But uh, it's not. Uh, if more people want us to review Tron Uprising, send us uh, recommendations. I, Let us I, know. They are making another Tron-like movie in uh, Ready Player One coming out later this year. Very Tron-like. And uh, very Tron. And I think that's where we are with technology now. I, I think the Tron brand is pretty much over because <laughs> it it doesn't uh, doesn't really pertain to anything we do or use any longer this sort yeah. of notion that computers are sort of this big scary alternate dimension anymore we have them all we, in our pockets yeah they're really conventional so now now, now, really... now we have to address the way we use them and the way we've come to uh use them to obsess about pop culture and what that that's doing to our brains right and that's what ready player one seems to be about so yeah, yeah. well we'll see let's we'll do see. one more letter one more okay we have a yeah. lot we have a long one well do good one? let's okay. we'll do it we have a lot of letters we're yeah, trying to yeah. catch up so to. this one comes from scott we're trying not to pull a b movies podcast we're and, trying and to fall really behind we're trying yeah. to catch up to your letters yeah. more quickly. So, uh, becoming a big fan of your podcasts, becoming, in the midst of becoming, mm. you're coming into yourself, as mm. Nietzsche might say. Of age. And uh, wanted to write in uh, write in a bit about a couple of shows that you have done. Uh, Dynatron City is the most recent, but also the shows Chuck Norris and his Kung Fu Commandos. Uh, karate Commandos. Uh, he, he writes Kung It is the Karate Commandos. Mm. He also misspelled Commandos in that he spelled it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Karate the show co- correct spelled it with a K. Spelled it with a K, yeah. yeah. Uh, Pride of the X-Men and I believe the Incredible Crash Dummies. Uh, you have gone over this, but from the late 70s to the 90s, a lot of TV shows were based on toys. He-Man, yes. G.I. Joe, Jem. The comment was, well, these are just commercials. It turns out this is more true than not. Literally, Hasbro was, Hasbro was paying for G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah, yeah, the toy oh. companies were producing these things. Oh, you're, yeah. you're totally right. The vast majority of the budget for these shows, show's productions came from Hasbro Company, and while they weren't a classic infomercial, the stations were paying for them, and by the late 80s, refusing to show the specific commercial, that was the idea. They made some money, but that wasn't the goal. The goal was very much that if kids learned about the toy line, they would be more inclined to buy it. This was the golden age of the elaborate mythos you needed to teach who Cobra was and what the Hiss Tanks could do. Versions of, the, <laughs> versions of this still exist, by the way, which comes to your shows. Doing this was very expensive, probably a couple million to do a proper TV series, and smaller companies, your Tonkas, your Kenners, etc., couldn't really afford it. But what they could afford was a single episode or something very short in the case of Chuck Norris. The idea was kids would watch them to learn just enough about the concept of the toy line and go out and buy it, probably less than your G.I. Joes would see, but what they could do. They ended up in syndication. They ended up on Saturday morning. Occasionally, for more gender-neutral toys, they did specials on primetime. A fair amount of this existed. Sometimes to take an existing intellectual property and convert it into a toy form, like Rambo, or frequently just created for a new series, such as The Visionaries TV Pilot. Those were cool toys. They were cool toys. They were cool toys. They don't need a, mi- they don't need a myth or a cartoon. Yeah. They were cool toys, full stop. Uh, but these weren't really pilots. Cartoons in that period didn't have pilots as the way we think of it, but existed just as that. When you say they were canceled too soon, in a real case, they were canceled before they even existed because they were commercials. Curious to see more of your take on shows like this in the future. I do think in some cases they're some better shows from the period if no for no other reason the creators could do a little more 
could be a little more finite in their storytelling, such as they were. Thanks for the show, Scott. Uh, P.S. As you mentioned in the Chuck Norris episode, a lot of them had Marvel tie-in comics, and that was cheap enough to get us for a small toy line. Yes, in the 1980s, Marvel Comics was later purchased for multiple billions of dollars, primary business model, but it was for doing originally for doing paid promotional comics for toy lines that never went anywhere. I remember the yeah. Marvel tie-in toy. Oh, lines. many. I read a lot of those. I, yeah. I read the Mad Balls comics. I also had a Mad Balls comic. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was, uh, wasn't <laughs> I, very good. I had the racist one where they went up against like the Asian Chinatown characters. Oh, and they God. Were all really horrible stereotypes. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the 1980s. It was still, quote, okay to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, PPS, yes, if there is, seri- <laughs> there is serious talk of doing a $100 million movie, Paramount has the rights based on Rom Space Knight, mm-hmm. a toy line that only existed in one of these comics. Yep. Yeah, that was like a lot, Star people Wars. a lot of affection for Rom Space Knight. Well, and the the Transformers in general, Jesus. But Rom Space Knight was never as big as Transformers. It was like kind of an adjunct of Transformers. I had a Rom yeah. action figure. It was cool, but like, yeah, yeah. it was people just did not yeah. flock to it, but a lot of people remember it really, really, yeah. really well. Here's here's what we need to remember. We're in the age of nostalgia. Yes. And here's the other thing we need to remember. Nostalgia is dangerous. Yes, it is. <laughs> nostalgia goggles are very, very you real. You should not be living it's, in nostalgia. That's why it's called something other than living. <laughs> That's why it has a separate distinction. It's nostalgia. It's painful to rip those goggles off, but rip them off you must. And yet we have a podcast mm. that is largely dedicated <laughs> to TV shows <laughs> well, but from the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. <laughs> This is not based on nostalgia, though. We're not wistfully remembering these TV shows, you know, saying that these things were great. We're looking through the the dirt. Yes. We're looking for the things that have no nostalgia. Trying to point, point. point out that nostalgia can blind you. Mm. If, if you loved Imaginary Mary in 20 years, well, here's how we feel about it now. Yeah, it's going to be real weird. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, we we are fully aware of this. And I, I think I even brought up how the law was changed, I think, in as late as 1987, mm. where marketing directly toward kids used to be illegal. Yeah. And Hasbro was able to sort of get around that by making these pilots. And eventually Ronald Reagan changed the law so they could just do these commercials, which is why they were everywhere in the mid to late 80s. Thanks, Reagan. Yeah. So, All right. So Ronald Reagan essentially defined our youth in a way that we didn't really expect. Mm hmm. And the reason Michael Bay is making Transformers movies is because that law Reagan changed. Mm-hmm. That's the way culture moves. It's weird. Specifically moves by way of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so, everybody, that is this episode mm-hmm. of Cancel Too Soon. Thank you very much for listening. Again, you can email us, canceltoosoon at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We are on Twitter at CancelledCast. I'm at William Bibiani. Okay. And you are? I am Whitney Seibold, I think. Yeah, and on Twitter. We are at patreon.com slash canceled too soon, where you can get exclusive content, uh, bonuses, all kinds of fun stuff. We've got a bit of a community building there. It's really, really, really great. Uh, we will be back within the, the week, is the plan, mm. uh, to review the rest of Doubt, which we, again, reviewed two episodes mm. of when it was initially canceled. Then they released the other episodes, so we got to do the rest. So we'll do that. And then next week, we're going to be reviewing another series that debuted this season and got canceled right away. Uh, it's one of our more requested shows and in fact it was donated by a listener Uh, we're going to be reviewing Emerald City the latest attempt to turn the Wizard of Oz into a television series and there have been a lot a lot Uh, you know just like just like Peter Pan you don't you don't got to keep going back to that stuff man and people keep trying to make it badass too so this should be interesting the Wizard of Oz is not badass it's peculiar it's never been badass (laughs) except maybe the end of Return to Oz 
the end of Return to Oz. Well, when you find out that she, that she was basically a uh, uh, a pyromaniac who like killed well, a whole bunch of people, uh, and... I wouldn't call that badass. I'd call it maybe dark and edgy. But okay, well, fair <laughs> she's not like an action star now. Oh, she's badass. Whatever. She's a, a, a badass child arsonist. It's not really <laughs> badass. <laughs> Anyway, we'll be reviewing that next week. We're going to be reviewing Doubt in the Interim. Mm. And then after that, we're going to be doing our Cancel Too Soon monthly movie for Patreon subscribers when we're going to be reviewing the TV miniseries of Gulliver's Travels that turned a bunch of heads in the 90s. We're going to see how well that came out. So mm. it's a busy time. Busy time to be us and to be you because yeah. you get to listen to all this nifty stuff, especially if you're a Patreon subscriber. Yes. So thank you very, very much for listening. Remember, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, a bunch of other places as well. Wherever you find us, if you could just leave us a review, mm. that really, really helps us find more people. That raises our status on various lists of podcasts that they recommend to their mm. various subscribers and that just helps us out a lot. Um, so thank you very, very much. You're all awesome and amazing and that is a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. <laughs>